That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. BBFFT. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Stephen Vaughn and Judah Newby with the Bald Face Truth. Well, what's going on, everybody? This is the Bald Face Truth. I am Stephen Vaughn filling in for John Canzano. John will be back tomorrow. Good news for everyone there. But Judah Newby is along with me running the board for me today. Feels good. Feels good to you know host the show, have Judah run the board. Something that's... Uh, I'm not used to, but I'm going to get used to it. We're going to use, get used to it together. Uh, feel free. Hit us up. 503-417-7575. If you want to talk about anything, hit me up on Twitter at Steven underscore VON. Talk to me there. Um, but the Denver Nuggets, I'm going to start off with them as they win the NBA championship. They beat the Miami Heat last night. And what, you know, I'm kind of a basketball guy. You know, I worked for the Blazers. I enjoy the NBA. I can agree that the national media and even us to an extent, we didn't talk about the Nuggets very much this year, but this playoff series, this final series wasn't very good. It, was, it wasn't very entertaining, but the Denver Nuggets win the title. Can't take that away from them. Although they did beat an eight seed, a four seed, a seven seed and an eight seed. It, it wasn't, it wasn't the murder's row to get the NBA championship, but they get it done. Nikola Jokic finals MVP, you know, he might be the best player in basketball now. And I think that's, kind of where everyone's at everyone's talking about is Nikola Jokic the best player in the NBA is it Giannis um I I, I don't think it really matters but Nikola Jokic is one of a kind and, and you look at Denver and how they did it I think Portland can take a few things away from this and that, that's the way I always go I always go how can the Blazers learn from other team successes Denver smaller market team uh you know not many people talking about them when people talk about the Denver Nuggets, it's usually like, oh, you know what? They're playing really well, and that's about it, but there's no drama. Portland Trailblazers, the same thing. The only time they talk about the Blazers is when Damian Lillard makes some comment or when they want Damian Lillard on a different team. It's never about the actual success of the team. It's never about what's on the court. It's always about what they have in Damian Lillard. And Nikola Jokic now is the same way. That's the only thing to talk about. So for Portland, let's look at, first of all, let's look at Denver and how they did it. Not by defense. And th that's the surprising part. And I went back and I've looked this up. I've said this numerous times before. Defense wins in the NBA. No matter what you want to think about it, you got to have a really good defense. And historically, it's very true. You can look at it and you can say, you have to have a certain type of defense to win an NBA championship. And that is going to be a top 10 defense in the NBA. It, the game has changed so much. And guys are so skilled and so talented. can shoot the ball so well. You have to be able to play some defense. The last 10 seasons, the Denver Nuggets have the worst defense to win the NBA championship. They're 15th 
in the NBA in defensive rating this year. Before that, the worst defensive team to win a championship the last 10 years was the Golden State Warriors back in 2018. But, of course, they had Kevin Durant. They had Steph Curry. They had Klay Thompson. They had Draymond Green. It's a little different. They could literally just turn the flip on, the switch on, and win basketball games, win an NBA championship. The Denver Nuggets, they had to do it differently, but they had the worst defense that has won a championship. But like I said, the road they had wasn't great. So if you're Portland, you got to reach that number. You got to reach that top 10 defense. And and right now for the Blazers, the last four seasons, 27th, 30th, 29th, 28th. It's not going to be good enough. So if anyone's talking about the Blazers and you say, oh, we're, they're close. No, they're not. They're not very close. The Denver Nuggets have proven that. The, Bo- the Milwaukee Bucks in their small market, they were a really good defense. The Warriors, when they win championships, they were really good. When the Toronto Raptors won an NBA championship, they were the fifth best defense in the NBA. So for the Nuggets to win as the 15th rated defensive team, it's very impressive. But at the same time, how how legit is it? I mean, eight seed, seven seed, four seed, eight seed. It wasn't a great, great run. Are you going to get that every time? No, but... They got it done. So, you know, first off, just, again, congratulations to the Nuggets for getting that championship. Nikola Jokic, he was awesome. Uh, he's the first player in playoff history to lead the lead the playoffs in points, rebounds, and assists in the whole playoffs. So, uh, you know, one of a kind right there. Uh, let's bring Judah Newby in right now. You know, Judah, friend of the board. First off, thanks for doing that. Uh, Judah, you know, I want to say this. After the Heat won game two of this series, you go to me and you go, isn't the logical thing to say right now is uh, Nuggets to win in five? Because, you know, and I had said this on the air. I said this numerous times. Like, the Heat just weren't very good this entire regular season. They weren't a very good team, but they were shooting the lights out the entire playoffs. You said Nuggets in five after they lose a game. It turned out uh, just what, what's your takeaways from this Nuggets Heat series? Like, Nikola Jokic, has he really solidified himself as the best player in the NBA uh, is it kind of a fluke championship? Do you count it? Do you, what's your takeaway from this? That's, is there such thing as a fluke championship? I mean, I, I get your point that it wasn't murderer's row that Denver had to go through. But, you, you know, you play the opponents that you get. They swept the Lakers, who we all thought were a seven seed that should that were playing much better than I, an ordinary I picked seven the, seed. I picked right? the Lakers, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you picked the Lakers in the series. They went 4-0, right? I, I feel like that kind of stepping stone to the eventual finals – it certainly validates the quality of the title uh, for a team like Denver. And frankly, I'm still in the mindset that any time a mid to small market wins a championship in any sport, basketball in particular, it's always valid. I mean, it's it for decades it was so hard for a mid to small market team to win a title, especially in the NBA. And then Giannis kind of broke the door down, but then people said I it's diluted a little bit. Phoenix was in there, and that's kind of weird, but. Uh, it was the first full season out of the pandemic. And then Golden State did their thing, right? The, the revitalized title team from a season ago. But now Denver doing it as well. It gives me a little bit of hope that Portland could do something similar. There's still a voice in the back of my head, Stephen, that says Damian Lillard is not Nikola Jokic and he's not Giannis Antetokounmpo. So what does that mean for Portland trying to copy the Milwaukee example, trying to copy the Denver example? You bring up the point about team defense and you got to finish at or near the top 10 in defensive rating to give yourself a chance. And what stats do you have as far as where the Blazers have finished in defensive rating over the last five to seven years? Yeah, the last four seasons, uh, Blazers finished 27th, 30th, 29th, and 28th. 
Um, and, you know, everyone will go to, well, the Western Conference Championship year where they got swept by the Warriors. They were 16th in defense that season, so that's even lower than the Nuggets were this season. So, you know, that year the Raptors won the title. I said they were the fifth best defensive team. I don't think if Portland somehow snuck by the Warriors, let's just say all their guys got hurt just like they did in the finals, I don't think Portland's beating the Raptors. Like, they're not as good. They weren't a real contender that season. Um, the The best defense they've had in the last 10 years was the year before that, actually, when they got swept by the Pelicans. They had the eighth-best defense. That was probably their best chance to ever win a championship. But if you remember, they were the three-seed in the Western Conference. Like, that was the legitimate best chance to ever win a championship the last 10 seasons, and they got swept in the first round. And, and it was embarrassing, in an embarrassing fashion. There's some playoff series that matter more than others, and I think that Pelicans sweep was was a tipping point in the Blazers, you know, uh, trajectory. Terry just got pantsed by, was it Gentry still there? Yeah. Like, and you can't have that. I remember going to both games at Moda Center and frankly, seeing Anthony Davis up close just gives you a whole different perspective on what basketball looks like. He, he was a, you know, he's a different kind of, of, uh, of, of, you know, physical specimen. I put Jokic in the same way, covering that Nuggets series in 2019, that second round series. I was being up close next to those guys. It's just like, man, we don't have anybody that looks like this or has an effect on the game like that. But so that, that Pell series was 2016. Yeah. And then you had the summer of 2016 following that. Uh, No, sorry. It was 2017. It was 2017. So that was the first, that was the first season coming out of the infamous summer of 2016 off season for the Blazers. And I don't think that's an accident. And then, you know, that we had the bifurcating quote come out of that, (laughs) out of that Pell sweep. Uh, Just like, Hey, you got to see what we did in the regular season. And, you know, make sure that we don't come away with too many conclusions based on just going down 4-0 is a bad matchup for us. And I'm like, what are we talking about here? Like, the whole reason you play is to go deep in the postseason and to win titles or to compete for titles. That's the reason you play. I could give a crap about being the three seed in the regular season. So don't hold that over the fan base as some, some you know, achievement mark. And I think Blazers, as an organization, got too caught up in, well, hey, if we can at least finish around the four seed, get a home playoff series, like that's how we construct our team and and go around operating as an organization and franchise and never took title contention seriously. If you take title contention seriously, you're not extending C.J. McCollum. You're not doing the other things that they've done over off seasons, but they weren't interested in title contending, whereas I think the examples in Milwaukee and Denver uh, would point otherwise. I would also say, like, I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes back to how freaking good Jokic is too, right? And yeah. he's kind of a one-of-one. One. He, he is a one-of-one. One. That's that's the thing, I think. The good thing to come out of this series and the good thing to come out of this season is I think the normal fan, the average fan of the NBA that doesn't necessarily watch it night in and night out, we're finally recognizing how good Nikola Jokic is. And he's been like this the last you know four seasons. Yeah. Um, you know, Back-to-back MVP didn't win this season even though he had his best statistical season this year, he didn't win the MVP because everyone was tired of giving it to Nikola Jokic and having him lose in the first or second round of the playoffs. And so it's good to see a guy like that get through it. And, you know, speaking of Nikola Jokic, Judah, I mean, he is one-on-one on the court, but one-on-one off the court as well. Like this guy <laughs> is, he is entertaining off the court just as much as he's on the court because like does he care i think that's the question it's like was he excited you, you watch him after the game he wasn't necessarily celebrating a whole bunch in the locker room there's some funny videos of him on twitter like shaking the champagne but doing it in a really weird not excited way you know are you excited to go to uh the, the um 
the celebration with the fans. Uh, was I can't think of the word. What's the, the, the parade? The parade. The parade. Yeah, the, yeah. What, the what the thing we're dying for. Yeah, here the parade. I, I've never I've never uttered those words. Oh, I'm going to the parade. <laughs> so I I forget what that word is. But yeah, the whole Jokic uh, after the game talking about the parade. Um, you said after the Lakers win, you said you were surprised that you didn't feel more. So I'm curious what you are feeling right now, and if you're looking forward to a parade coming up in Denver. When is parade? When is parade? Thursday. No. I need to go home. I'm a- <laughs> no, okay. no, he needs to go home, Judah. He doesn't want to go to the parade on Thursday. Can we have the parade literally the day of the celebration of the win? And that's just kind of the guy he is. Uh, Austin Rivers, he was a former teammate. He was talking to Ryan Rosillo. He had some fun stories about Nicole Jokic, too. Like, this isn't an act. And I said this before the series. I said, Jimmy Butler, Nicole Jokic, two of the cooler guys of the NBA. And it's real. Like, that's why they're both authentic. Uh, this is Austin Rivers talking about Nicole Jokic and just uh, some of the carefree demeanor that he has. This Jokic stuff is real, though, isn't it? Like, him yeah, not he's... caring about any of this stuff. He, he, he Tell me about it. We've been in a big game. I can't, I, I can't exactly remember if it was a playoff game or not, but I just remember it was like a big game coming to the locker room. And this dude has his legs crossed in his locker playing a video game uh, it was on his phone like just like a little just a game and i remember thinking to myself like what the hell is he doing and he dominated the second half it, it was like a lesson for me to understand everyone's process is different i don't even know how to explain it. he's so cool and, and, and collective to where you know even after bad losses you know he's just quiet he, he moves the same way never too high never too low that trophy of his is going to end up somewhere in the garage and he is going to go out and race some horses and and that is just about and that's the mystique to him. I think that's why people really like him. I race some horses. That's what he's gonna go do with the trophies. Just gonna go race some horses. But I will say this, Judah, like we talk about Damian Lillard here in Portland being a great leader, a great teammate. Like Nicole Jokic, I mean, what more can you ask from a superstar? And we said this about Giannis when he won a championship, just how you know he doesn't cause problems in the media. And for some re- you know, for that reason, the Bucks and the Nuggets aren't talked about nationally. But, like, on a superstar level, on a small market team, you can't ask for much more than a, than a superstar like Damian Lillard, like Nikola Jokic, like Giannis. So it's always good to see uh, a guy like Nikola Jokic really get that championship and finally get some credit uh, on the national stage. Yeah, not only that, but, I mean, it, it comes back to his, his on-court, you know, presence and personality and impact. Like, have you ever seen somebody impact the totality of a game the Duke? to the degree that Jokic has in the last two plus season, the last three seasons, two MVPs and one title now. I mean, is Giannis, you know, close to that, but I mean, the the fact that he can distribute and pass the way that he does, I feel like puts him in another tier and, you know, all the respect in the world to Damian Lillard, but I don't really think it's close the way that Jokic impacts the game, the way compared to the way that Damian Lillard impacts the game. And I think you got to be mindful of that as a Blazer fan. And that's, that's a great point. Gina is, when we talk about the Blazers and we talk about how close are they, do they have the star power to get there? And we all love Damian Lillard, but he's not Nikola Jokic. He he's not Giannis Antetokounmpo. He needs help around him, and I think that goes back to what you know Joe Cronin wants to do this offseason. Whether he wants to draft a player at three, whether he wants to trade for a player at three. There's been some uh, more news on that the last couple of days. We'll talk about that in the next segment, but you know. With the Nuggets, here's my thing, Judy. You look at the roster and how they constructed it. Nicole Jokic was a draft pick. Jamal Murray 
their second best player. He was a draft pick. You could argue Michael Porter Jr. is their third best player. He was a draft pick. And I think that's how you build these small market teams. You build them through the draft, and then you fill in later. Now, they went out and they got Aaron Gordon in a trade. Great trade. At the time, people thought it was a little bit of an overpay, and it didn't necessarily work right away, right? They didn't get to the Western Conference Finals. They didn't do that kind of thing with Aaron Gordon, but he proved to be the perfect fit next to Nikola Jokic, a guy who can play some defense, a guy who cuts to the rim, uh, because you know you see those law passes, Nikola Jokic passes him the, down low. Then they trade for Contavious Caldwell-Pope this offseason. They traded Will Barton uh, basically for Contavious Caldwell-Pope. They get him. What a key instrumental piece he was to the entire Nuggets' success this season. They go out and they sign Bruce Brown, but it wasn't to the big free agent signing. It was two years, $13 million. It wasn't the, you know, we got to get this guy at the max deal. And I think that's the way the Portland Trailblazers need to go about it if they are to build around Damian Lillard for one more year. Now, I don't know that I agree with what that they should do that. They should make that trade. But what you got to do is even think about Dame. The Blazers drafted Dame with the sixth pick overall. That's how you get your superstars in the NBA. You get them by drafting the Blazers with the third pick in the draft. How can you pass that up? How can you pass the opportunity to say, we may get another guy like Damian Lillard, but he's 20 years old. He's 19 years old. And we have the rights to you know build around him for the next couple of years. Where with Damian Lillard, he had his best statistical season of his career this year, and I would say he looked great doing it. But how many years for real does he have? And I, I love Dame. I think he's a really good player. He can shoot the lights out of the basketball. But at some point, the explosiveness is going to wane just a little bit, and that's going to cause a little bit of problems. The way he gets to the free throw line isn't by pure quickness. It's not by pure athleticism. It's the quickness. It's the first step. It's the explosiveness that he has. He's not the best leaper anymore, but he's explosive when he gets to the rim and he knows how to draw contact. One of the smarter players in the NBA. Yes, that'll last, but to play at an all NBA level for the next couple of years, I think is going to be asking a lot out of Damian Lillard. So you want to replace him. How do you do that? You don't do it through trades. You don't do it through free agency with your Portland. You do it through the draft and Portland has the perfect opportunity to do that with the third pick in the draft. Well, that's my question though, is, you you seem to think that it's time for the Blazers to declare one pathway or the other. One pathway being you're put your roster in position to try to contend in the West, and we always ask, what does contending in the West mean? I think you're you're content to, to contend in the West, your floor has to be the second round and your ceiling has to be to win the conference. You know, it, it but it it can't be a six seed or a seven seed regular season team. It's gotta be top four. You know, in all likelihood, but ultimately being in a position where you can make it to the second round, reasonable expectation. So to have a roster like that, you know, you've got to mortgage the future, you know, right now in order to do that. But if you're saying, hey, that that could be one pathway, but the other pathway is taking scoot at three. In your mind, Stephen, can you do the both pathways at the same time? Is there any scenario that Scoot Henderson at three can impact this team on the court to a degree that they are a contending team in the Western Conference, or is that just way too high expectation for a 19-year-old? No, it's, it's too high of expectations, I think, especially for year one, even year two. You, look at the playoffs. There's never, like, real rookies that are making huge impacts. The last one that I really remember was Jason Tatum. Uh, they got to the Eastern Conference Finals. He went up against LeBron. They lost, but he had a great game. Like, right. he was the last one. 
And before that, third pick, by the way, third pick in the draft. There you go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you look at this series is Christian Brown. Like he's the only rookie, but he's come off the bench. He's not making that much of an impact. To ask, then, but another heck of a coaching call from Maloner there to, to, I, to, to go to and, what can Brown do for you? And that's the thing. You know, does Portland have that coach? I don't know. It remains to be seen. That's a massive but question. Just to answer the question with Scoot, like to put that pressure on him and say, you know what? We need you to team up with Dame and you need to compete in year one. I think that's asking a lot. Now, I'm not saying you have to trade Damian Lillard before the draft. We've talked about this lots is the timing is so important. It may be right. It may be draft night. It may be before the draft. It may be after, but you got to figure out when the best time to trade him is or to, you know, to explore that trade because the Blazers got to get enough value for him, right? You don't want to just sell him off for pennies on the dollar. That That's not good business, especially with the Portland Trailblazers. Do you have an asset like Damian Lillard? He is a good asset for all the things I just said about him and the Blazers should explore trading him. He is a great asset. He's a great player, great all-time player. You got to get something for him. And yeah, I feel bad that Neil O'Shea didn't do a great job of building around Damian Lillard early in his career. But you know what? I'm always looking forward. And I just don't think that the Blazers are that close to contending or even having a chance to contend yeah. in the Western Conference based off what the rosters are, based on where teams are going to do this offseason. It's not as if... You know, the Nuggets are going to get worse. They're, they'll be fine. They'll be right back in it. All their players are going to be back. Bruce Brown has a player option, so he may, you know, opt out. Well, he will opt out and get more money, but, you know. But you, you can replace a Bruce but Brown. But you can replace a Bruce yeah. Brown. They're going to have Jokic. They're going to have Michael Porter. They're going to have Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray. They're going to have all those guys. The Sun's going to have Durant and Booker. You know, the Lakers are still going to have LeBron and AD. Can they add another piece? The Mavericks are going to get Luka Kyrie. You know they're going to try to make another move. Like that's, Memphis, a, that's a weird team. The Memphis Grizzlies are going to come back strong. Like I know John Moran is going to be suspended for a long time, but like they're still a young team. I mean, I just, by the way, we could get that announcement at some point. This we week, could, right? and I hope so. the finals is over. Uh, but I just don't think the Blazers are close, and I think that's the problem right now. Uh, feel free to chime in. Are, are the Blazers close to a contending team in the Western Conference? Five zero three four one seven seven five seven five. This is the Bald Face Truth. I am Stephen Von Filner for John Casano. Coming up next. We are going to talk about a little bit of the draft rumors, the trade rumors with the Blazers. The Blazers obviously have the third pick in the draft. There's been some uh, late talk from Shams, Sharania, um, from Jake Fisher, uh, from uh, one other guy. I'm just blanking on his name right now. But there's been some talk about what the Blazers could do, what teams want to do to jump up, um, as well as what I think the Blazers could do with the 23rd pick. This is the Bald Face Truth on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Welcome back to the Bald Face Truth. I am Stephen Vaughn filling in for John Canzano. John will be back tomorrow, but I'm filling in, in for him today. Judah Newby with me as well. Uh, we broke off last segment talking about the Blazers and how I just don't think they're very close, which leads me to this conversation as well. Like Sham Sharania of The Athletic, he came out with a report yesterday talking about how there was a team in the Western Conference that is being aggressive to try to move up into the draft and here's this. Uh, here is Sham Sharania talking about it yesterday. Pelicans are expected to aggressively pursue a top pick, potentially two or three, in this upcoming NBA draft, with their eyes set on Scoot Henderson. Sources tell me, Henderson and Alabama's Brandon Miller are vying to potentially go number two to the Charlotte Hornets in the draft. Henderson worked out on Sunday in Charlotte, and Miller goes on Tuesday. Expect the Hornets to further solidify their draft board as this week closes but the Pelicans are among teams seriously pursuing that number two overall pick. Pelicans are pursuing the number two pick, but he also said pursuing the number three pick, because as we know, Victor Wembanyama will be the number one pick. 
Then what the Charlotte Hornets do, nobody knows except for the Charlotte Hornets, and they probably don't even know right now. But it's down between Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller, and I'm on the record of saying if Scoot Henderson falls the three, how can the Blazers not pick him? The, the guy is electric. The guy has superstar written all over him. Now, is it a for sure? Nothing's ever for sure. And I see that argument out of a lot of Blazer fans is, well, you got Damian Lillard. He's already the superstar that you want that Scoot Henderson may never turn into. And that is true. He may never be as good as Damian Lillard. And odds are he probably won't be. Damian Lillard, the top 75 player of all time, to expect a top draft pick to be that good, I think is crazy. But he's also 19 years old. He's also going to be a lot cheaper of a contract. He won't be on the back end of his career. And you can build him with Shaden Sharp. You can build him even with Jeremy Grant if you bring him back. You can build him with Anthony Simons, who's only 23 years old. Like that, That is the pathway. That is the pathway to become better. Now, I think it is interesting, though, the report by Shams right there saying the Pelicans are looking to move up. If they catch wind that the Hornets are going to draft Brandon Miller with, that Miller with that second overall pick, and that may be true. Brandon Miller is a good prospect. He, you know, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, wing player that can dribble, can shoot, can play some defense. We had uh, his strength and conditioning coach, Henry Brayer, on the show. He said he should go number one. Now, is he a little biased? Of course he is. Wimpanyama's going first, but Brandon Miller could go two. And if he goes two and the Pelicans catch wind of that, there could be a trade on the table, Judah. It could be Brandon Ingram. It could be Zion, who's been in the news lately for uh, lots of things that we're not going to go in and talk about. I could talk about him, but uh, I don't. The rest of the show. Yeah, I don't. You know, Zion I, I, off the court. I just, I can't, I can't spit it out of my mouth. I can't get the words out <laughs> of what, what Zion likes and what he's into. And I don't, I, you know, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. I don't hate it. You know, you do you outside of, uh, outside the court, but Zion's been in the news. Spit it out. Is, is it, uh, you know, <laughs> is, 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 uh, there's been reports of uh, the Blazers and the Pelicans talking about a trade, and it seems like it would be Brandon Ingram rather than Zion, but I think Zion would still be on the table. It seems like a Brandon Ingram for the number three pick, and you probably got to add some more if you're the Pelicans. Brandon Ingram and a piece for the number three pick in that type of trade, Judah, Brandon Ingram, still a really young player, still a good player. He was an all-star a couple of years ago. Um, you know, fills a need for the Blazers, obviously. You know, that wing player, he's still only 25. He'll be 26 when the next season starts. We've talked about Jalen Brown. We've talked about Mikel Bridges. We've talked about Pascal Siakam. But Brandon Ingram, the newest you know guy on the table that could be available for the Blazers, is that a pathway if you are... Let's trade this pick to team guys up with Damian. Is Brandon Ingram a good fit around Damian Lillard? At this point, I would love to see it because I'd love to see anything new and fresh. And I'd love to see a front court star or an up-and-coming star in the front court to pair with Damian again because that's what we thought Nurk was going to be. And so much of our discussion around, you know, who to pair with Dame. Well, look, I mean, Denver wins because they got freaking lucky. They got lucky with Nikola Jokic. Okay, Milwaukee got lucky with Giannis. I mean, he went 15th overall, no? Or, or, you know, the, yeah, out of the 15, top 10, 15, yeah. Jokic goes second round during a Taco Bell commercial. I mean, Fitting. you've got to be lucky in order to get a superstar like this. Now, obviously, they got one in Dame, but you, you have to have the other. Nicola's got Murray, right? And he was a lottery pick. Yep. And he also missed a year with an ACL. You know, the year the Blazers lost to Denver, that Murray didn't even play in the 2021 
first round series. He was Michael, Michael Porter, also lottery pick, uh, yeah. number one high schooler guy, just got hurt in in in, uh, in college. Played two games, I believe. There's a lot of yeah. questions, but he was still a lottery pick. Still, you know, all the talent in the world. We all knew that. And they've let that thing water and water and water. Kind of the same way we talk about Oregon State football. You know, they get the coaching staff in place, they they get the the fundamentals down, and they just water that thing. And now look at it grow five years into Jonathan Smith's tenure. Look at Denver growing five years after the 2019 second round series with. Portland. I think about that series all the time when Blazers beat Nuggets in, in seven and CJ goes crazy Mother's Day game seven in Denver and five years later, same court, that Denver team with the same ass pieces won it all. You you would have told me that five years ago. I would have been shocked. I would have thought that Portland certainly would have had a better shot than Denver. Did. And by the way, it didn't make a coaching change that entire time. There's something to be said for getting the seeds and the pieces in place and letting the thing grow and foster and develop. And, you know, you still got to be lucky, though, to the earlier point with a Jokic and a Jamal Murray. So if, I, if I'm if i Portland, I'm just like, man, yeah, I do want to trade for Ingram in one sense and be like, yeah, because let's that will give us a better chance to contend right away. And at the same time, do we already know the ending of that story? You know, it's the Blazers will be maybe a five seed or a six seed with, with that piece alone. At best, maybe they're a four or but, a five, but it doesn't really raise their postseason floor the way that we want. But haven't we already watered the seeds? Ha- haven't we done this for a long time? Damian Lillard's 32. It's not like he's a young guy. It's not like they haven't tried to build around him. It just was unsuccessful, and it was done terribly. It, well, that, it, the, the reason it was unsuccessful is because it was done poorly. So, so and, but, and, but and now, really, but yeah. with your plan analogy, the plan is almost dead. We're just trying to keep it hanging <laughs> on for another you year. Can see, you can water it all you want, but if it's in bad soil... Then it ain't going to grow. And, and Portland's been in bad soil thanks to Neil and maybe thanks to Chauncey now. I mean, because yeah. I, I, that's another huge piece of this. We have no idea if Billups can coach. And obviously, Michael Malone can and did. And, and that's my point to it is that I feel like the time has passed with the Damien Lillard plant. Right. Like, okay. Yeah. And, and that's ah, why it I, sucks. And it does suck. It, it sucks. does suck. But I think it's. And, and it's okay to admit that, right? And it's okay it's to like say. It's a cactus in a desert. It is. And it sucks because Dame has been so good for the you know for the franchise for the community, but I just think the time has passed. And so if you're going to be trained for a guy like Brandon Ingram, who is a really good player, I, I'm not saying he's not, but the ceiling on him is what it is. Like he's mm. a fringe All Star player. Yeah, Dame has never played with another All Star, and I understand that besides Carmelo Anthony, but he's a fringe All Star at this moment in his career. He also doesn't address the biggest need that the Portland Trailblazers need. That's defense. That's on-ball defense. Brandon Ingram, solid off, you know, solid on-ball defender. Not a great guy. He's not going to be a dude that you throw out on the other team's best player and say, "Go guard him." He's not going to be Contavious Caldwell Pope. He's not going to be even a Max Struess on the Miami Heat. He's a guy who can score the ball. And the Blazers, offensively, for how bad the Blazers were this past season, they don't need offense. Like they have offense with Dame. Like yeah. he can carry it. It's more on the defensive side. So I think. For me, if you're really trying to build around Dame, it's not even a Brandon Ingram as the piece to bring in. You got to shoot for a Jalen Brown, for Mikel Bridges, a guy who is an elite defender. And so for that, like, I just think if you're trained for Brandon Ingram, you're just gonna you're just floating in the water. What if it was Zion? That's a different story, Judah. I <laughs> look Zion Williamson. He is polarizing. He is faddish. As a fatter, bigger man, I can say that it's okay. Uh, six six two eighty four. I guess that's what he says. But uh, different angles to say he's over three bills. 
But the guy, Judah, when he plays, he's played 114 games in four years. Not great. Ouch. Not great, Bob. But you know what? When he plays 26 points a night, shooting 60% as a 22-year-old in his career, that is unheard of. The, he, talk about one-of-ones. Nicole Jokic won one. Zion Williamson is a one-of-one. I don't know. I would have to think long and hard about what else could the Blazers get more than just Zion for the third pick in the draft? If they love Scoot Henderson, could they get more? Is Zion the answer? I think you talk about like not choosing a path and going with it. The Zion thing is the worst part about it is he's young, but he's ready to win. Like he's a guy that you could throw out in the playoffs and he could be really successful. I would have to think long and hard about Zion coming to Portland. I don't care about the off court stuff. I was throwing jokes at it. I don't care. I care about the on-court stuff and Zion when he plays and he's on the court, he's awesome. Yeah, just in case anybody doesn't doesn't know and like I've just got a cursory uh you know understanding and not really understanding of his off-court stuff, but he, he's recently got a baby mama and now another jealous <laughs> he uh, has a, he had, side piece. He had a gender reveal yeah. with an Instagram model and then a uh an OnlyFans adult Adult star uh, started tweeting out things about how they're together, and uh, she's really, really the girlfriend. And he's yeah. paying Shoot for her housing. Here. They can all yeah. come out here. We'll take all the bring, drama. Bring all the girlfriends. Yeah. I don't care. And a couple of years ago, when he was rehabbing, he was rehabbing here in yes. Portland. And you know, I, there's part of it that that does make sense to me. And you would, in theory, be buying low, quote unquote, on the production that you just mentioned, which yes. is you told me off air the other day when Zion is healthy and playing on the court. We're not talking good. We're not talking great. We're we're talking historic levels of production we're, we're talking, for a player of his age. We're talking MVP level type good. Like yeah. Like if he played a whole season, he would be in in conversations for MVP. I think at the start of the year, like he would be a dark horse bet that you could make and be like, you know what, that could win. Now, whether or not New Orleans would be willing and able to do that, obviously, I don't think that's what they're going for with this. It seems like Ingram is the guy that they want to ship out. But to your point, man, if it's one of the two, I would much rather entertain a Zion discussion for that third pick than an Ingram discussion for that third pick. And I don't know how realistic that would be. because, But at, at least at that point, I feel like you've ex- Ingram's still young, too. Like you said, he's, yeah. what, 25? He'll be 26, 26 at the start so. of the season, yeah. But at the same, I, I just feel like the upside and the timeline is more optimized with a guy like Zion next to Dame than than Ingram next to Dame. I mean, I could be talked one way or the other, but Zion just that, that to me that uh, that moves the needle a lot more than than Brandon Ingram, who's still a really good player. Yeah, would you want to see Zion or Brandon Ingram in Portland? Five zero three four one seven seven five seven five. Uh, that's the rumors. That's the rumors that they are being shopped. Now the Blazers also have the 23rd pick in the draft. Judah, I yes, know, I know you know this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing, you know, that could be traded as well. I think, you know, we look at the 23rd pick in the draft and you're not going to get a superstar player more than likely. I mean, to think that you're going to get a guy that's going to make a difference. You're not, but you could get a guy like Christian Brown who made an, who made a difference in the playoffs this season. And I think there's some guys out there that you can look at. And there's a couple of guys uh, one in particular, Judah, that I'm loving on, that if you're a Pac-12 fan, which I know a lot of people are, you know about it. He was a Pac-12 player of the year, Jaime Hawkins Jr. He, he's a guy that I love. Uh, I'm writing a piece right now at 750thegame.com. You can check this out later this week, just of guys to potentially be looking at for that 23rd pick. I, I got Jaime as one. Now, it may be a little bit of a reach to draft him, but you look at a guy like Christian Brown and what he did. Just a guy that will do anything on the court to be successful, uh, we watched Jaime Hawkins at UCLA this season, a guy that is going to be willing to improve his game and change his game. Uh, when I worked for the Blazers, I was told this by, by, a, by a lead scout. The hardest thing to judge 
is will a player change the game in the NBA? Because they've been so successful one way. They've always been the best player on their high school team. They've been the best player on their college team for the most part. So they get the ball all the time. But when you come to the NBA, you're not going to be the best player. You're going to have to fit a role. And it's hard for these guys that have been so successful, made you know NIL money, making money now, making millions in the NBA to say, you know what, I'm going to change my game to be more successful in the NBA when I've played one way. It's hard to judge that. But Jaime Hawkins seems like one of those guys that can do it. I think he can. I think he'd be a really good fit for the Blazers as a role piece um, you know, coming in later. He's already 22. He's a little bit older. I think he's a guy that can help. And we all know the Blazers do need a little bit of help off of that bench. So I think that 23rd pick does have some value, I think, to teams not only like the Blazers and rebuilding teams, but to teams that are contending. We saw Christian Brown be able to play. I think you can draft guys like a Jaime Hawkins uh, and figure out, you know, you can play in the rotation on the playoff team and be very successful. So I think that 23rd pick holds some value. You know, whether it is a trade to try to get Jalen Brown or uh, Mikel Bridges, you know, Zion Williamson, they can trade that 23rd pick. They can't trade future picks because of the Chicago Bulls draft thing. That's all in the weeds there. Don't even worry about that. They can <laughs> they can get take care of it, but, the, but right now they are eligible to trade that 23rd pick as well because that is the New York Knicks pick that they traded Josh Hart for. I think it is in line to be either traded. We'll also see, though, if the Blazers are really trying to make a push to the playoffs, they will probably trade that 23rd pick for another veteran, right? Like, that's what they traded about for Jeremy Grant. I think that could be in play again if the Blazers choose to go that pathway and uh, try to build around Dame for one more year. should be really interesting. Is the draft only nine days away? I mean, can you believe that? Nine days away. I it's The season literally just ended, and now we'll be uh, talking about the newest trailblazer coming up real soon. But we're going to take a break here. Uh, on the Ball of Face Truth. When we come back, we do this every day. We got the big splash. This is the Ball of Face Truth. I am Stephen Vaughn filling in for John Canzano on the Ball of Face Truth Radio Network. This is the Ball of Face Truth, but not with John Canzano. I am Stephen Vaughn filling in for John. John will be back tomorrow. I'll be back in my normal spot, running the board, pushing the buttons for John and the Ball of Face Truth. Uh, but I'm filling in for today. Feeling good about it. Uh, you know, we talked about Zion a little bit last segment, Judah. I just kind of want to finish off with this, with the Zion thought. If if you don't know the whole Zion situation and the drama that he's in, feel free to look it up. Make sure you're not at work when you do it. You might pull up some pictures or something that don't, you know, not safe for work. But I wanted to add this thought. Like, it is drama. And we talked about this, you know, earlier last week, how I just hate the drama in the NBA and how that's what we talk about if the Blazers were to bring in a guy, say, like Zion Williamson or anything like that that has the drama, does it bother you? Does it bother you when they have off-court drama like this around, you know, girlfriends and cheating on their girlfriends and things like that? Like, it, he's not breaking the law. He's not flashing guns like John Morant, which I don't even, I mean, that's a whole other conversation that I still don't have a big problem as a lot of people do on it. But he's not breaking the law. Do you think that, like, does that matter to you? Would you be upset if the Blazers bring in a guy like that to, to bring in some drama to the team? So my first reaction is always like, no, I, I don't care. Like, as long as we try to win, that's all I really care about. And then people call in, people tweet. They're like, well, you know, it's not exactly the type of behavior I want to pass down to my children. And, you know, I, I get that in a way, but pick somebody else to, <laughs> to tell your child to emulate. You know, at the end of the day, not every athlete in your market, not every athlete on your favorite team is uh, – you, you want them to be high character. But the reality is, it's like, 
you know, everyone's got strengths and weaknesses, and some of those weaknesses are high-profile weaknesses or at least um, things that are a little bit un- unsavory. But what? You you might be able to answer this better than me. You know, I've got a, a young one, but she's, you know, not even – she watches little sports, but just because she thinks it's funny and, and, uh, to, to watch with dad and say, go, go, go. But you got kiddos that, hey, they like John Morant. They're into these athletes. And I don't know. You probably wouldn't want to go too deep on – the Zion Williamson stuff with your little kiddos. Hey, Dad, what's wrong with Zion? No. <laughs> yeah, no, I have an eight-year-old, a four-year-old. Uh, the eight-year-old especially is really getting into sports. He's playing all types of sports. The four-year-old knows a lot of basketball players because we've been collecting cards lately. I've been super into uh, trading cards lately. I'm back in the hobby. And it's a whole thing, dude. I don't know if you... Did wow. you collect cards when you were a kid? I, I did in a way, yeah. I had a lot of sports cards. Yeah. And it's a it's a whole thing. It's blown up ever it, since. It is a whole thing that you have to learn about. There's yeah. strategies. Um, and I'm all in now. I'm back in on that. Okay. But uh, so, so we've been collecting cards. And yeah, like my son, my oldest one loves John Moran. He even says, like, I want his shoes. I want his jersey. And we've had to tell him, like, well, he's kind of doing some weird things. He's just flashing guns around for no reason. Like, we talked to him a little bit about it. But, you know, I just think at this point, I think you're right. It's like, if it's, for me, if you're not breaking the law, like, if you're, you know, cheating on your girlfriend or wife, for, I know this is going to sound bad. I don't necessarily care about it. Yeah. Like, it's, I, I, I should care. And I should think that they're the worst person. But I just, I don't. Because I have this theory that, a lot of professional athletes, they're cheating on their wives or their girlfriends because it's almost like uh, mechanical at that point. Like they have, like they have to get it, like they have to get it done to get out of the way and, and, to, and to perform better. Like and so, I it's not even like a love thing or anything, and they hold that back for later. So I, I don't have a problem with that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think when you're breaking laws, when you're doing Deshaun Watson things, you're doing gross things like that. That's a little different. But I think you know. Just having a, a side piece, a side girlfriend, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I just, uh, I do understand though, if you do. Like, I'm not, I'm not judging you, saying you're wrong, but I, just, for me, it's not yeah, that big of a deal. Yeah, there's probably so much. Yeah, it's an example of so much behind the scenes behavior that we don't know about, or frankly, may not want to care about, other than the fact that you know, it's, it's a little bit. You know, it's almost live reality TV shows. Well, it's the same reason people watch reality TV because they want to know the entertainment value behind the live of the athlete. It's like you said, I think it would surprise a lot of people uh, if they knew some things, which I have known and I do know. I can imagine. And uh, I am not allowed to say coming on up the next, airwaves. Steven <laughs> tells all on <laughs> what he knows the from athletes. No, but, uh, I, uh, but yeah, I think it's a lot of these things would surprise people. But yeah. uh, so I, you know, for me, that kind of drama is uh, it's fine. I think I'm willing to but take it. We already came. Through the jailblazers era, you know how, how bad can it really be? It can't be that bad. It can't be Ru- like Ruben Patterson. Not a fan yeah. of that. Not a fan of him. Uh, yeah, uh, you know that's that's a different conversation. All right, but he was a Kobe stopper. Oh God, Kobe. That's another topic too. Oh, uh, sure. We do this every day, Judah. Even when John Canzano's not here, when I was filling in, we do the big splash. Here it is. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where down there? The big Dalvin Cook, the running back, he got released the other day from the Minnesota Vikings. He's coming off a really good year. He only and he'll turn 28 on August 10th when the new season starts. Still young. He recorded the seventh fastest speed of any ball carrier last season in 2022. But he said today, Judah, that he's in no rush to be signed says that he wants to be valued. He wants to go to the right spot. He wants to go to a team that really appreciates him. 
it's a waiting game for him, and he's not really worried about it. I would be worried a little bit if I was Dalvin Cook. Uh, we heard Saquon Barkley yesterday on the show talking about how it's a business. I think running backs uh, should be devalued and are devalued in the NFL, and they should be even more devalued. You don't need to spend a lot of money. You don't need to waste draft picks on them. I think you can you know, plug and play, for lack of a better term there. I think if I'm Dalvin Cook, I'm a little bit worried if – I'm not getting big time offers right out the gate and that it could be one of those things where he's signing a one year deal with, you know, a really good team, whether it's the Buffalo bills, Kansas city chiefs and trying to earn a contract after having a nice season. I mean, am I off base on this that I think the running backs just probably just need to try to get as much money as possible as soon as they can. And maybe Dalvin cook is even slow playing this a little too much. Yeah. You would almost be better served as a, as a running back to sign these one year deals that are, mostly guaranteed or fully guaranteed as much as possible and then stay healthy, obviously, and then keep, keep re-upping on them. You got to prove your worth. So it's not exactly, you're not resting on anything if you're signing a, a two or three year deal, but Dalvin's only 27 and we kind of forget about him because, you know, he's been banged up some Minnesota. They were kind of, you know, a hollow talk about fluky, fluky team, but you know, still a three seed and almost a two seed in the NFC last year. But, you know, I'm excited to see where he could go. And then, frankly, he may just not want to deal with anybody's mini camp or anybody's OTAs, anybody's training camp. And he's just like, you know what? I'm 27, but wake me up when it's week one of the season and, you know, someone needs a little bit of running back depth. But because as a number two RB, I think he's going to be really good. Yeah. And there's going to be a team that does need him and can use him on the roster. He's also coming off a uh, a season. He started every game, Judah, but. He separated his shoulder week three, played through the injury for the Minnesota Vikings. That's one of those things where it's like in football, you feel bad for those guys. They fight through these things. They fight through a separated shoulder all year. Then uh, what's your reward? Oh, you're cut. You're cut and released. That's that's what yeah. we think of you. <laughs> Thanks uh, for fighting yeah. hard for us. <laughs> Thanks for playing with one arm and one shoulder the entire season. Now go find a new team because we don't want you anymore. Even though you're only 27 years old and you ran for a thousand yards. Go, go away. You and your one shoulder. But Dalvin Cook. Uh, not in a hurry, and I, you know, I blame him a little bit. I think he should uh, get on that, get, try to get somewhere else. Uh, that's gonna wrap up hour one, though, of the Ball Face Truth. Coming up next, I got some thoughts about the Oregon State Beavers football defense that I think a lot of people uh, may not agree with me. I know John doesn't. This is the Ball Face Truth on the Ball Face Truth Radio Network. Hour two of the Ball Face Truth. I am Stephen Vaughn filling in for John Canzano. John is out today, but he will be back tomorrow in the regular chair i will be back pushing the buttons running the board in my regular chair it'll be back to normal tomorrow but i am filling in for john today I want to thank everyone for listening on the bald face truth radio network throughout the state of oregon all the great affiliates we got uh and so thank you I want to thank everyone real quick just right now but uh i do want to talk about this the oregon state beavers coming off a 10 win season there's a lot of excitement and i know this i've seen the excitement i've seen the people on the internet talking all about the Oregon State Beavers, and it's not just locally. It's not just down in Corvallis. It's not in the state of Oregon. It's nationally. People are saying Oregon State, they're the team. They're a dark horse team. They're a team that we know is a really good team. Jonathan Smith, he's the coach nobody knows about. They're being talked about. I think last season, Oregon State snuck up on some teams and got some wins maybe that they shouldn't have, and they ended up getting 10 wins, and it was a great season for the Beavers. A lot of momentum going into this year. Then in the transfer portal, they get DJ Uyunglele. And oh man, 
We saw the loss to USC. Chance Nolan throwing picks everywhere, left and right, pass after pass. Can DJ just solve that problem? Should Oregon State have won 11 games, 12 games last season? Now they bring a lot of players back. But you know where they're not bringing guys back? On the defensive side of the football. Trent Bray, great defense coordinator, signs a contract extension. But you know what? The Beavers, they lost some key guys on the defensive side. Simon Sandberg on the defensive line. Kyrie Fisher-Morris, Omar Spates at the linebacker spot. And the big ones, Alex Austin, Jaden Grant, who has been there and been a leader for so long. Rajon Wright also in the secondary. That's six key players that they lost on the defensive side of the ball. Are they really just going to be plug and play? Are the Beavers going to be a plug and play team? Are they that good? Is their talent that good right now to just say, you know what? We're going to lose our leaders on defense in Omar Spates and Jaden Grant. And the Beavers going to win 10 more games. The total right now, win total in Vegas, eight and a half. I mean, the, the, the hype around Oregon State is real and there should be real excitement. But are we overhyping this team a little bit? Are we overlooking their first opponent in San Jose State? Maybe not. Probably not. 16 and a half point favorites. But to my point, the defense has a lot of question marks. And I think a lot of people are just assuming that the Oregon State Beavers defense is going to be rock solid. It's going to be at the top of the Pac-12 once again, as it was a season ago. I got some questions about it. I'm going to bring Judah back in. Judah, we've had this talk off air lots of times. I really have some questions about this defensive team in the Oregon State Beavers. They're losing a lot of talent and not just like good college talent, but guys that are going to go to the NFL. They lose Omar Space to LSU, who goes out and they give them the NIL deal, get them recruited to LSU, get out of Corvallis. This defense lost a lot of talent. Are, are they really at the recruiting level where there's just plug and play or is it Trent Bray is really just going to coach them up to be a top defense in the Pac-12 they're going to run in some into some question marks this season um on their schedule I've done this exercise already I you know I picked every single game in the Pac-12 for all their teams I have Oregon State at seven wins I feel bad I like Oregon State am, am I crazy to think that maybe this defense is it going to be as good as we think it's going to be? Beavers are so easy to like, and it's so easy to buy into their optics. What's more difficult with Oregon State is exercising a little bit of negative thinking, you know, exercising the muscle of, okay, how does this go wrong? And because that's more difficult, because it's less natural, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's hard for people to say, oh, eight and a half after we won 10 games, of course we're going to hit that number. But it does dovetail with my kind of hot take of the offseason season which is DJ Uyunglele is not the single most important figure to Oregon State's 2023. Trent Bray is Oregon State's most important figure of 2023, not DJ. If you're talking about who is one singular figure that's going to make the biggest impact on whether or not the Beavers are out and out successful, over eight and a half wins, competing, you know, beating Oregon, maybe in Otsis Stadium, competing for a top two seed in the Pac-12, competing to get to Vegas or a top bowl game, and replicating in, in, in so far as they can their success from last year. And it comes down to Trembray for the reasons you laid out. Jaden Grant, you cannot underrate the impact that he brought in the secondary. I mean, pl- the guy played there seven years, <laughs> you know? I even think of a guy like Jack Coletto. I showed you a play the other day because I'm a I'm a nerd like that, and I was re-watching last year's Civil War game, and 
Jack Coletto is playing an off-ball linebacker. He diagnoses a run play on third and two, blows it up. He blows up a guard and a tackle trying to trying to block him. Blows it up and tackles Jordan James for a loss. I mean, absolutely blew it up. You show me the play yeah. like he annihilated every single player on that play. That's Jack Coletto, who we're all like, yeah, he's the next Kyle Juszczyk in San Francisco. And he's like, that was one of your you know, most nasty defensive plays uh, and players. Like, he could do it all. You can't underestimate losing a guy like that. The Omar Spates thing, that might underscore something a little bit, a, a different kind of topic at Oregon State. Like, we're talking about them as a destination for great players to go. DJ being an example, even Childs as a four-star QB. It's a lifetime gig there for, for Jonathan Smith. Continuity, continuity, continuity. And now you're leading tackler up in leaves for another program? Like that, that I think is interesting. And I don't know if that is representative of, of something that, that the Beavers might have to keep a keen eye on. And it relates to another player that we've talked about in Damian Martinez, who is another guy that you could see maybe getting an NIL deal at an SEC program closer to home and and eventually bolting. But he hasn't. Obviously, he stayed, and you hope that's the case. But the Spates thing was interesting to me because losing that guy in the middle who's still playing college ball, in addition to the other departures who are either exhausting their eligibility or onto the NFL, we're talking about five or six really key pieces from last year's defense that we all raved about that you have to find some way to replace. And I t- that to me, that's a great challenge for Trent Bray, especially considering at least the pieces on the defensive side of the ball. There's a handful of good ones, but there's a lot of unknowns. And so just to expect them to be as smothering and as consistent as they were a season ago, I think is a fool's errand. And I mean, here's the thing. you know, Tell me if I'm wrong, Beaver fans, 503-417-7575. Are the Beavers maybe a little overrated this season dare i say it i hate to say it because i love the beavers i think i think they're a really fun team to root no, for. Like, yeah no one wants to pour cold water on the no beavers, no Steve. they had a great season and it's like you said they're so easy to root for and as john has talked about you know it's continuity it's culture it's building from within jonathan smith has done a great job of building that culture from the ground up i mean think how bad it was when he got there to where it is now and the fact that we're actually talking about oregon state to win you know, projected eight and a half wins. Like we're talking about 10 win seasons. Like that's what it should be. And I think it's just such a good place. I, I just have some questions right now that say, you know, we've seen teams lose these type of players and rebuild in one season because, oh. well, they go out in the transfer port, they get guys, or they could just plug and play. I don't know that Oregon State is on that level yet. Now, they did go out. They got the Wyoming pass rusher, Oluwase Omatosho. I believe I said that right. Wow. I just looked it up, and I really Nailed practiced it. it when you were talking. I wasn't listening to one point you said I was practicing the name the entire time. But <laughs> they bring him in. He's supposed to be really good. I know that'll help. But I just I look at this Oregon State team, and I say, already recruiting ranking-wise, and I, and I, you know, I probably overrate recruiting a little too much. I will say that. I, I'm fully willing to admit that. You know, I like to gamble. I like to bet. And if I get a team that is more talented recruiting-wise, I'm probably going to take them. And I think, for me, Oregon State is one of the lower teams in the Pac-12. And I think that hurts my thought of them and say, you know what, they can just plug and play and bring new guys in. Now, it could be the fact that they've developed so well, and they are that type of team, that they are bringing in these new players and bring back some guys. Keaton Olatapo, Oladapo, he's coming back as well. He's a really good player. So they got some talent, but they're losing Jaden Grant. I just there's some thoughts in me, Judah, that I could say, you know, DJ may be really good, and the Beavers still win seven or eight games. 
is DJ going to get blamed for that? Is that a bad season? And I don't necessarily think it is. I just see that there's going to be some problems in this schedule. I mean, even San Jose State on the road, that's not a great, that's not an easy spot to go play your first game of the season with a new quarterback, new defensive players coming in. I think that's tough. San Diego State, I mean, it should be a win, but is it going to be an easy road? I don't think so. Your first conference game at Washington State, that's never easy. Then you play Utah the next week. Like, would it be crazy if they lose their first two conference games? I don't think it is. And I I just think it's going to take a little bit of time to really get gelling. And they may be really good by the end of the season, but at the start, losing all that leadership with Jaden Grant, Rajon Wright, and uh, Omar Spates in the middle, I think is going to be tough to replace. The secondary, I I will grant you that because, you know, Oladapo and Arnold at safety, you know, they return a lot of experience. Um, corner, and I'm just pulling their depth chart from our lads, which is kind of like the gospel of depth charts for the NFL and, and college football. So whether or not this is how Trent Bray draws it up, you know, we'll see. But corner, you know, Ryan Cooper is is back at, at nickel corner, and, and he's a senior, so you like that. And he got a lot of snap counts last year. Jaden Robinson, a redshirt senior, playing off at the other corner. But you got a lot of freshmen in the cornerback depth. And that always manifests itself. Now, here I will say this. I don't think they're going to win six games. I don't think they're going to win seven games. I think they'll win eight. That is my floor for them. And one of the reasons is, you know, I think Trent Bray is that good of a D coordinator. He could be. Like, he could be. I think he's – what he did to Caleb Williams last year. That's a lot more than just the Joes on the field. I mean, he was the only, like, only guy to do that to him. The guy won the Heisman Trophy, and he forgot how to play football for 58 minutes. He made one pass, and because Chance Nolan threw you know, four or five interceptions, they lose the game. He was the best player in the nation, and he looked so ordinary. I can't I can't see what happened there and be like, I don't think Trent Braze knows what he's doing. Like, The guy is exceptional, but I, I still maintain that with all the moving parts, like he's got a big job and a big task in front of him as well. And, and you know, to the offense... If your defense regresses a little bit, well, then as the totality of your team's concerned, you hope that your offense picks that up a little bit. And I think that's reasonable to expect when you insert a more dynamic playmaker at the quarterback position and you have the ground game that you do. So if you're Oregon State, you've got the ability to control games and you know be either ahead by one score or within one score for the majority of, of a contest that's going to really help out your defense. That, that is one thing you can't forget about is just game flow. In these scenarios, a defense is going to look pretty bad when, you know, you turn they're, over, they're yeah. down by two scores and they can't stop the run or you're turning over on offense. And these high power Pac-12 passing attacks are going to attack your weaknesses. But if you're in the control of the game and you have the ability to control the game on the ground, you're efficient on offense, you're winning time of possession, you're taking care of the football. All things I think are reasonably expectations for Oregon State then I think an 8-9 win season is easily within their grasp. And it really could be. And I think you you make a good point of, you know, with DJ Uyunglele coming in, like, if he's just not terrible, right? Like, the quarterback play wasn't it wasn't good last season. Branson did some okay things, but he didn't really do much. If DJ can make a few plays, yeah. maybe that does raise the floor of the Beavers where eight wins is really the floor. And the defense can regress a little bit because the offense is going to take that next step forward. But I do think it is important that DJ has a really good season. I look, I think about that Washington game last year. And to me, that was exhibit a of quarterback. If you had a really good court, if you had a good quarterback, you win that football game because your defense played their freaking butts. I mean, you could argue that for USC too. I mean, and the USC game, 
Yeah, the only exactly. loss they had was the Utah game, right? You can't argue any other way. I know Chance Nolan got hurt in that game, yeah, and it was Go Branson's first action, but that was a loss. They were the better team, you know. Still in that game, Lindgren dialed up some sweet stuff. I remember that was that was pretty cool. But you're right, Utah was just straight up better than than Oregon State. I'll be interested to see the return trip to Corvallis this year, and then Oregon, like, yeah, you beat them. By running the football the entire second half and coming back from 21 well, points down. Like, how sustainable is that? And That's to crazy. my point, play of the game, Jaden Grant stopping Bo Nix, right? Yeah. Read, di- didn't cut, wait for the play, just ran in and made the play because he, he read the play and he was a veteran. He's been there for seven years. He knows, he understands, and you're losing that leadership. Now, I don't. I think those are the type of plays you can't just fill in, guys. Like that's an experienced play from Jaden Grant that only he can make, and that's where I think Oregon State may have some trouble, especially early in the season. So I, I you know, I look at Oregon State's schedule, and it's good that they have a UC Davis in there. I mean, San Jose State—they're an average Mountain West team. I, I think they win the game. I think San Jose State covers the sixteen and a half, but I think they win that game. But you look at the conference to start the season at Washington State, I, I, that's not ideal. And then you play Utah, who is just a tough team. I think that's where you could run to some trouble uh, early on in the season with the lack of leadership on the defensive side. Unless a guy like Oladapo really steps up and becomes that leader, which he could be. He was a really good player a season ago. But I just got some questions on the defense side. And then offensively, like DJ, we talked about this a little bit. DJ Uyunglele, I could see where he's really good. And the Beavers win eight games a season, and he gets a, so he gets blamed no matter what it is because he's just the quarterback, and that's what it is. But I really think DJ's got to be really good this year because I think the defense regresses a little bit, and the offense has to take a step forward. I think DJ's got to be a little bit better than we're all making it out to be. We're talking about DJ coming in and just handing the ball off, doing some play action passes, maybe running it in from the goal line. I kind of think DJ's going to have to make some plays offensively to keep Oregon State in some ball games because the defense is going to regress. I, I see. I don't see how DJ is good and they win just eight games. Like if DJ's really good, like the five star, like they're winning nine at least. That's that's the boomer bust potential of this team. I don't see a season in which DJ's really good and they only win eight. Like to me, that's the difference. They they're going over eight and a half if DJ pans out the way that they want. The big question is, is he going to pan out the way that they want? This is a whole different world for this guy. I mean, the Beaver offense and the Clemson offense are worlds apart from what he ran with Tony Elliott and then Brandon Streeter. Like, he had two coordinators in back-to-back years. He was there three years, but one was the COVID year as well. That RPO heavy, you know, and then running the quarterback all the time the way that they were doing. And what Jonathan Smith, who's been on the record, says that what we ask our quarterbacks to do we ask him to do a lot more than what Clemson asked their quarterbacks to do cerebrally yeah. at the line of scrimmage, footwork under center, all this type of stuff that you have to master before you can unlock your physical potential, which is DJ's biggest attribute is his, is his physical skill set, that if that gets unlocked, like, they're going to Vegas. If DJ's legit, they are going to Vegas. That's the boomer bust with this team without question. I still think the bust doesn't have that low of a floor, but if DJ hits, I mean, this team's freaking great. 15th of the country last year without the guy. Defensive aggression, you know, aside, if he hits, man, we could be talking about big things at Oregon State. And as I you know, I said, I have Oregon State at seven wins right now, subject to change. It's in pencil. You're not a DJ. You're not buying DJ. I'm, I'm not necessarily buying DJ right now. And you got to see it. I got to see it first because I saw it in those first two games he played when he played Boston College and he played Notre Dame. But that was a different Clemson team. Like that team was 
unreal, ready to win. You could that was plug and play. Trevor Lawrence was the first pick in the draft. Like that's how good that team was. When DJ had to do it more by himself, not even by himself, but more pressure on him, it just didn't work out. I'm not ready to say that DJ is going to be an all-conference quarterback. And I kind of think if Oregon State is to take that next step, we talked about steps last season for Oregon State. It was just to beat Boise State in week one. I mean, think about where they started to where they ended. We were just saying, can they just win a game and then win a game on the road against Fresno State? Like, we celebrated huge. We celebrated those wins like they were crazy. Now we're talking they're going to Vegas. I just yeah. think it's I think it's a quick step <laughs> forward. And in order to do that, it's on DJ to take, to take that next step and be that five-star guy. But I haven't seen it. I haven't seen that from him at Clemson the last couple seasons. In fact, he was benched at the end of last season because he wasn't playing as well. Oh, so, who do you trust more, Jonathan Smith or Dabo Swinney? Who do I trust more? To get the most out of their quarterback. Well, to get the most out of their quarterback, Jonathan Smith. But Dabo is probably a better coach. Well, because he can. Because he, he's done he, it. But he relies on recruiting a little bit more. And, he does. Know, and their recruiting dropped off a bit. But, I mean. But, he, but is Jonathan Smith that quarterback whisperer? I think we're going to find out. We're going to find out. because I think we're going to freaking find out because, I mean, look, he's look, been operating he got, with Gold Branson and Chance. And who'd we start, who did they start at Purdue? Uh, the Beaverton kid. Sam Neuer. Neuer. But here's, like, the, here's the thing, though. It, Luton. Is the quarterback reliable? The way Jonathan Smith has approached it, because he hasn't had that guy. He turned Jake Luton into an yeah. NFL draft pick, but it wasn't like he was really successful in college. Is there a cap to that ceiling if you're really just going to run the football as much as they want to? Like, in order to get to Vegas, doesn't DJ have to take that next step forward? I don't think that they can have a guy who isn't making plays down the field, and they're just relying yeah. on their run game only to get to Vegas. Well, 49er fans are like, oh, my gosh, this, this it's really close to home. This is exactly what the Niners were thinking when they drafted Trey Lance, was our offense already has a high floor with our play caller, our scheme, and our running game. Boy, if we add a playmaker at the quarterback position and replaces Jimmy G-Cat with a dynamic guy that can do it all, then we're going to be unstoppable. Obviously, it hasn't worked out for them, but I think that a similar you know, hypothesis is in play at Oregon State, which is if we add a playmaking QB that can do it all with his arm and his legs in this scheme of this offense, at worst, Stephen, at worst, he's going to be just asked to hand the football off like Gobranson did second half versus Oregon. I mean, and that still can be a recipe for success. You'll still kill teams like Arizona State and Cal and all the bottom feeders, probably Colorado, because they're not going to be able to stop the run, and you've got right. a great run game. Good for you. But, man, if you've got a, a playmaking QB, that is certainly what takes you to the next step because it's the most important position in sports, let alone on the football field. <laughs> I'm getting excited just thinking about oh, it. I can't wait. I'm really, And that's the other thing. It's like how soon is are they going to name him the starter? Well, that if was, they that do. was my next point. Is this whole conversation for nothing? And Aiden Childs, is he going to be playing? I love Aiden. Bill Branson going to be I love out there? Aiden. It, it won't be Aiden Childs. I mean, you know, but it won't be Aiden Childs. Not week one. How can it be Gil Branson? I mean, look at the skill set. You know, DJ gets a little toe injury. Maybe maybe that's what happened. You know, he, he's not picking up the offense and the scheme at the pace that they would like. You don't want his first game to be a road game at San Jose State, a standalone game on CBS on a Sunday afternoon. Maybe you want to ease him in. Hey, maybe he picks up a toe injury during practice that week, a quote-unquote toe injury. I think that Go is – Go Branson uh, takes some snaps. That first game, September 3rd, it's a Sunday. That is a awesome time <laughs> slot for the Beavers. It is a standalone game. 
It's the start of September, so we're all feeling football. There's no NFL. It's literally going to be the only college football game or NFL football game on at that moment. And it's DJ Uyunglele and his debut with his new team. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on DJ. I can't wait for that game. I think it could be closer than the 16 and a half, like I said. It just seems like a lot. It just does. I I just. San Jose State's not bad. They're not terrible. They're, they're, I wouldn't say they're good, but you know, well coached. Brett Brennan, uh, really good coach. You know, I, I think it's going to be. It's a tough test. I think it's a good test for DJ and that Oregon State offense and the Oregon State defense. Chevin Cordero, former. They got some pieces on that offensive line um, that they're bringing back from San Jose State. They're really good on the defensive line a season ago. I think it's a really good test. I can't wait. Uh, September third, that game's going to be down in San Jose. Beavers taking on the Spartans. Whew getting excited just talking about it. Uh, but we're going to take a break here. Uh, next segment, it's going to be Punch It Audio. We always play Punch It Audio. We've got some great sound from all around. We'll play that next segment coming up next on the Ball of Phase Truth on the Ball of Phase Truth Radio Network. Welcome back to Ball of Phase Truth with John Canzano, but not with John Canzano today. Stephen Vaughn filling in for John. John will be back tomorrow. If you want to jump on the show, 503-417-7575. Hit us up with anything. Hit me up on Twitter at Steven underscore V-O-N. I'll respond to you on there as well. But now we do this every day. We mine the internet. And by we, I mean me and Judah. We mine the internet and find all the best audio clips of the day to explain what's happening in sports. Judah, we call it Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Denver Nuggets win the NBA championship last night. Nikola Jokic, MVP. He's the first player in NBA history to lead the playoffs in points, rebounds, and assists. Bill Simmons talking about the Nuggets big man. How good is he, and where does he rank among among the NBA best? I think it's actually undisputed that he's the best player in the world now. Because Mm. even the bad Jokic game is like a 20-12-9. Basically, any other player in the league, other than you know LeBron in his prime or whatever, if somebody just casually throw up the 32 21 9 or 10 people would lose their minds like if jason tatum did that i would be like telling my grandkids oh my god this game jason tatum had but joker we're not even surprised anymore so for me i just feel like he's consistently so good game after game with the ceiling of you know supreme that to me he's the number one guy now he's not wrong uh, I don't agree with him. I think Giannis is still better than Jokic, but you're nitpicking at that point. Like he is right in the fact that a Nikola Jokic really can't play bad with the way the offense works for Denver and how much he handles the basketball and the way he positions himself to get rebounds. He's always going to put up numbers. There's going to be some games where he doesn't get a bunch of assists. Got to be some games where he doesn't get a bunch of points, but that's also because he's super unselfish and he's going to make the right basketball play. So he is right that a bad Jokic game is going to be better than 99% of the NBA. And you could argue that, yeah, maybe he is the best player in the league. I think we are living in the moment a little too much saying that Jokic is the most skilled big man of all time. He's the best big man of all time. He's the best player in the NBA. I think we're going a little too much uh, with that. And I still think I'd have him two or three. It's not like it's way far down, but 
I think we're just giving a little bit too too much love for winning the championship last night. You're starting a roster from scratch right now in the NBA. Who do you start it with? Giannis. It's Giannis. And there we talk about one of ones like that guy. Not only is he one of one size wise, but athletically, no one's like that guy. And Jokic, Jokic gets a bad rap for not playing defense because he's a big, tall, stiff white guy. But he's not a bad defender. Like you watch him, he's a really good spatial defender. In the pick and roll, he's an okay drop defender, which is tough to do. I think it's very underrated to do that. I just think Giannis right now is the guy. If you're starting a team as Giannis, Jokic is on the list. He's definitely to be considered, but Giannis has got to be number one for me. Has Jokic ever missed significant time with injury? No. I mean, it's a unfair to ask, but three years in a row, we're talking league MVP and now a title winner. Do the baller. Giannis, amazing as he is, he gets nicked up from time to time and obviously did in the playoffs here. He did, and and that's a fair point. Um, He has done that, and now I think Jokic... He's at that level where he's not going to be winning MVPs anymore. He kind of happened this year where he's not going to be MVP. Giannis is at that stage, too. When Giannis won MVPs, he actually put up less numbers than he did now. Steph Curry, same way. Like, when he won MVPs, it was because he hadn't won before. It's a nice, new, shiny thing that's going to be happening again for Jokic, where he's almost too good now to win MVP. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think Bill Simmons is right, but I'm not saying he's wrong either. Like, he's right there with all the other really good players. But I think we're just overrating it just slightly because he won a championship. But again, hats off to the Nuggets for uh, getting it done, even though their road to a championship wasn't great. Uh, But sometimes luck does play a big part in winning the championship. The losing team in the NBA Finals was the Miami Heat. Now what what are they going to do? Brian Windhorst talking about what the options are for the Heat. and Could they try to trade for a big-time player? The Heat have, uh, they owe a draft pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder in 2027 that has protections on it. If the Heat reach out to the Thunder and make a side deal with them to lock in that draft pick, they could potentially free up three first-round picks to trade by next week, including that number 18 pick. Now, I wouldn't say they'd have to go to the Thunder, but that is what the league is watching. If there's a, if there's a move with the Thunder, it indicates that they have something uh, out there. Now, you may say, okay, well, what star players want to come to Miami? I, I, we could sit here and talk about names, but there'd be a little bit of conjecture. What we don't know is what star players just watch the Heat on this two-month advertisement for Heat culture and yeah. might go to their teams in the next few weeks and say, I want to be a Miami Heat. That has happened consistently through the Pat Riley era, including with Jimmy Butler when he wanted to do that a couple of years ago. Side tangent, I think all team names, when their their nicknames should end in an S because I think it sounds so stupid when he said, I want to be a Miami Heat. No, I want to be a Portland Trailblazer because of the Blazers. You can't shorten Heat. You can't shorten Thunder. <laughs> like, you gotta, I don't know. It, it really bothers me. I'm a Boston Red Sox. No, you're not. You're not. You're a Yankee. You're part of the Yankees, and then you're a Yankee. But that's just, you know, I, I hate the team names that don't end in this. And it really bothered me when we said I want to be a Miami Heat. Um, that's Heat culture. That's Heat culture, though. That's a real thing, though, Judah. Heat culture is a real thing. Now, here's what I would say. He kind, you know, he didn't name names. Obviously, Damian Lillard has been alluded to going to the Heat because he said it. Damian Lillard actually said, "I would like play for the Heat or the Brooklyn Nets if I'm not playing for Portland." I didn't say it. You didn't say it. John Kazan didn't say it. Damian Lillard said those words. So that's always going to be the rumor, especially here in Portland. I will say, Dame seems like the type of guy that could fit into Heat culture. I think you got to be a certain player to play there and play for Eric Spolster, who's going to coach you hard. 
And that's the thing. Udonis Haslam's on the bench. He's a, you're basically an assistant coach. He's going to coach you hard. They're going to call each other out. Jimmy Butler seeked out Spolster, seeked out the Heat, wanted to go there. Dame, I think, would fit that culture. But the question then would be, can you, if you're the Blazers, get anything back for Dame? It's probably a no, not enough for Damian Lillard. But, man, the Heat, they're always trying to make moves. They are a model franchise for a team that says, we're not going to necessarily build through the draft. We're going to build around getting free agents, getting trades. I think the Heat do it the right way. And you got to you know, respect what Spolster and Pat Riley have done down in Miami. It's truly amazing. And, of course, Spo, Portland guy, right? Anytime uh, he Represent. gets in, you know, we're talking about uh, Whitmore, Junior High, Raleigh Hills Elementary, shout out, Spo, Heat culture. That What they did, getting fi- hey, they won an NBA Finals game. No other eight seed has done that in history. Yeah, I remember looking up the Knicks went to the finals. As that was the uh, strike shortened season, too. Yeah, they only That's played like 40 games. Yeah. And so like, they were way better than an eight seed, you know, as from a talent standpoint. But hats off to what Miami did this postseason, man. That was that was pretty incredible. And going back to the last comments I had about Jokic, how we're overrating a little bit. I think the Heat are going to try to capitalize before the draft. Draft nine days away. Got to cap- try to capitalize on some of these guys. Caleb Martin really showed out in the playoffs. You got, if it, maybe maybe a team was like, you know what? He's a really good player. You know what he is? He's an average NBA player. You can see that coming from a and, mile away, right? The Caleb right. Martin overpay. Yeah, and I think that's the type of guy where you know a fan base could talk themselves into be like, you know what? He's a missing piece, but you know what? He's just a guy. You can find those guys. The Heat, they're the type of team that can trade him and get something good. I would be uh, the Heat are one of those teams that I would never want to trade with because I feel like Pat Riley. Uh, you know, Danny Ainge is another guy. Yeah. They're going to kill that's, you. In the that's trade. your top two, right? Those are the top two. Like, I, stay the hell away from me. Yeah, you're Danny on, and Pat. You're offering me a trade. Uh, that's a clear hang up. I'm going to say no to that. But the Heat, I imagine yeah. they do something. Draft nine days away. Who, who's the Minnesota GM that traded with Danny last year? I don't know. He should be homeless. Whoops. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. All right. Well, uh, Joel Collette. He's a Colorado alum. He is talking about Dion all the time. He interviewed Coach Prime, uh, but this was what he's talking about Colorado now, how he feels the program is going to be. And you know what? He's kind of on my side. His team may be a little more talented than what we're making out to be. Here's Joel Klatt. Colorado was 1-11 last year and lost by an average of 29 points. 29! Like, they were the worst team in the Power Five by a wide margin. Northwestern was the closest to them, right, in terms of, like, really bad teams. Yeah. Northwestern was a one-win team. They lost by an average of 14. 29 to 14. He had to clean house. It's absolutely within the rules and as a first-year head coach at a location. You can go in and you can bring in as many, you know, first-time scholarships as you want. And he had to clean house. This is going to be a substantially better team. You go from 85 scholarships, even if he only has 60 guys on scholarship, those 60 guys are going to be substantially better than what they had a year ago. This team is going to look nothing like it did, and that's a good thing. Substantially better, Joel Klatt says Colorado is going to be. I can't disagree with him, and I made this point yesterday with John. Like The talent on the offensive side is going to be really good, and I think the difference between you know, a program like Colorado and a program like Jonathan Smith and Oregon State when he took over is the quarterback spot. Shadur Sanders, he's a dude. He's a good player that knows he has to get the ball out quick. And I think them knowing that the weakness is the offensive line, that they still don't have that shored up. They returned two guys off the team last year. They have, I believe, three guys that are returning from last season uh, on the offensive side, maybe, or in defense. Two of them are on the offensive line. 
that's how how much they didn't really address that. And they have a guy from Jackson State, a couple of guys from the MAC, from Kent State. I feel like knowing that that's the weakness, they're going to drop some game plans. Sean Lewis is going to drop the, you know some schemes to get the ball out of Shador Sanders' hands quickly. And I think that's going to help him out. And I think Sanders, that's the way he wants to play. You ever watch him, you ever hear him talk about it. He wants to get the ball and quickly be accurate. He's a very accurate quarterback. I think they're going to play to their strengths. I think Dion's done a good job of assembling a coaching staff. Look, I don't think Colorado's going to be competing for Pac-12 titles. I, I think they're going to be competing for a bowl game. Their win totals at four. I think they're going over. I got them at five. But Judah, this team is substantially better, according to Joel Clatton. I think they're substantially better. I think they're going to surprise a few teams early on where they may not win a game against TCU, but they keep it close. They may not win a game against Oregon, but they might keep it close. Yeah, and you remember the the Duck team of 2007 when, you know, Chip just got there and out of the gate, you know, they're going to Michigan week two and they everybody's like, holy crap, what kind of offense are we watching? And they just lay the hammer on Michigan out of nowhere. Like, it's not going to be anything quite like that, but to your point, they've got the entire offseason to game plan and know their personnel and put in offensive strategies for those early season games, the TCU and Nebraska game in particular. And by the time Colorado State comes around, you know, who who knows what will happen then. But I think you're right on the money. I mean, the, the, o, the O-line is just going to be such a question mark there that it's got to be a quick passing game, you know, with Shador Sanders. And then what kind of athlete is he with the ball in his hands? I think he's just going to run like he might be like a Khalil Tate type you know i have no idea how fast he is obviously tate was was all burned and didn't actually play the quarterback position all that well we'll see what kind of athlete shador sanders is because he's either going to be a running for his life or b pulling magic out of a hat and doing something with his feet as well so it'll probably be a boom or bust offense in colorado that could get you five or six wins, though. Khalil Tate, that's a good pull right there. Man, uh, I, just, I was just thinking about that Oregon team that went down there a few years ago. crushed. And got their asses handed to him. I mean, then he was like the Heisman favorite the yeah. next season, and he was just not good. Like, that I think, happened, I think, man. I think to your point with uh, Shador Sanders and his speed, he may not want to run the football. They don't have any of the quarterbacks. All their quarterbacks left the program. They don't really have a backup. Uh, I think I think we're not going to find out how fast Shador is unless he's just running out of the pocket to hey, throw it away. Or run right out of bounds. Yeah, just get you out know? of bounds. Don't get hit, Shador. Like, we can't it's afford like that. tell Kyler. Just get the heck out of and bounds. That, and that's the thing. Maybe he gets hurt week one, and then this, you know, the whole thing is one and 11. Like, that it could possibly happen because the quarterback position is so, so weak. But I think. But no one's going to hold Coach Prime accountable for his words here. That's the thing. Like, no. he's talking a great game, and we love it as a media, you know, entity. We love it. It's phenomenal. If they lose and stub their toe, like he'll spin it the way that he wants to spin it, and we'll all forget about the big talk he had. No one will stand up to Coach Prime and say, "Hey, man, what did you? What were you talking about the whole offseason? You wanted the whole thing. You didn't want a, a slice of it. You wanted the whole enchilada. Now, what do you have to say for yourself? Like, I have little faith that anybody's going to actually hold him accountable, and and that's kind of the way it goes with these big time coaches. Seattle Seahawks star receiver DK Metcalf. He was on the Rich Eisen show. Seahawks made the playoffs last season. They were a wild card, shocking everybody after the trade of Russell Wilson. But DK says people still doubting him. Is he right? Here's DK Metcalf. It's not for us to decide. Um, you know, everybody mm-hmm. has their opinions. Everybody, you know, has their predictions of what we're going to do this year. And my my only response to that is to just keep letting them letting them overlook us. And you see what happened last year. So, um, you know, keep doing it. The haters going to hate Judah. 
uh, Judah Newby as our resident Seahawks fan. Uh, are people doubting the Seahawks? I think uh, for me, I don't know that they're necessarily a playoff team. I think they got a very lucky last season and the defense has a lot to improve on. Uh, Devin Witherspoon's going to help a little bit in the defensive backfield, but that offense is going to be really good. I will say that DK, Tyler Lockett, they drafted Zach Charbonnet, Kenneth Walker coming back. Gino, can he replay or uh, you know redo what he did last season, have another good year? Is just a one-off uh, Seahawks. What, what, what's your early lean right now, Seahawks? Playoffs or no? Do you know where Geno Smith ranked among NFL quarterbacks last season when not pressured? Probably like one or something. I don't know. Number two behind Patrick Mahomes. Is that good or something no? great? Yeah. Like, so you don't have any questions about Geno Smith, do you? You know what? Honestly, no, I don't. Like you think, think he's think, you think he's I think legit? He's, I think twenty twenty three Geno is going to be better than twenty twenty two Geno. Like Ooh. I think it's that sustainable offensively for for the Seahawks as long as everybody's healthy. And adding Jackson Smith and Jigba is freaking massive. This guy is going to have ten catches and two touchdowns uh, week one. Okay, maybe a little bit hyperbolic, but that's my point. He is going to be plug and play right now. You can make a lot of money if you bet that. I will <laughs> to go along with Lockett and Metcalf, a running game that's got Kenny Walker for the home run distance and has got Zach Charbonnet to hit a bunch of singles and doubles. And the offensive line was really good last season as well. Include with two rookie tackles. Like who does that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I look, I know I'm a Seahawk fan, but I am buying all the Seahawk stock I can get on right now because I look I, I'll even look at the Niners and hey, they had a special season last year, but man. I don't know if they'll be able to do it again in, in a year post D'Amico Ryans. And I know I said it post Robert Sala as well, and they still load it up. But Nick Bosa played the whole year. Like, is he going to stay healthy the whole year? I don't know. New Brock defense, Purdy. I mean, we really buying that. A full season of Brock now that the book is out on him with a, with a banged up elbow. I don't know, Steven. I know you're a betting man, too. I would get a whiff of Seahawks division chances because Oof. the value is going to be smoking good. You heard it here. Mortgage on the Seahawks to win the division. <laughs> Judah Newby right there. All right. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the Ducks. There's some news from the Oregon Ducks opponent in week two. They play Texas Tech. There's some news announced the other day that might be pretty interesting to Duck fans. This is the Bald Face Truth on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Steve Vaughn in for John Canzano. This is Bald Face Truth from Bald Face Truth Radio Network. John will be back tomorrow in his regular chair. I'll be sliding back to my regular chair. But I want to thank everyone for listening right now because I'm filling in for the great JC. But Judah, I don't know if you saw this news the other day, but the Ducks, they're going to be taking on Texas Tech in week two. I think it's going to be a very exciting game. But former Ducks quarterback Tyler Shuck, he was announced as the quarterback, the starting quarterback for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. First off, why was this announced so early in the offseason? And two, is it because they play the Ducks in week two and they kind of are getting ready already? Like, is this that big of a game that they're like, you know what? We we want you to know who the quarterback is. It's the former Duck Tyler Shuck. Like, what what's the point of this? You think they these guys are hyped? I think they're two? hyped, man. You think they got that game circled on their calendar? You bet they do. And that to me, that's why they announced it so early. They want they want to play this up as big as humanly possible. People going to Lubbock in, in revenge a game, prime time game, a revenge game for Tyler Shuck and Texas Tech is wrapping their arms around around it and playing it up for all that it's worth. They're going to embrace this narrative for all that it's worth. They don't want it 
carrying with them into media day. They don't want it carrying it with them into fall camp or anything like that. And frankly, Shuck is the best quarterback on their roster, I would think. And, yeah. you know, they had some QB stuff last year. Shuck played a little bit. He got hurt. The other guy got hurt. Shuck came in late, did some good things. And I think he probably transferred to Texas Tech knowing full well who was on their schedule in 2023 being his Oregon Ducks. I mean, this is an Arizona guy, state of Arizona guy and Tyler Shuck. And, you know, didn't his mom and his dad, didn't they go to Oregon State or something like that? Like, he had family ties to the Ducks and the Beavs, but it didn't work out. I still think he's a good player, but you better believe he is prepared all offseason. That's his Super Bowl, man. Now, that I, is his Super Bowl week, too. And Tyler Shuck, this is his third consecutive season where he was the, uh, he'll be the opening day starter for the Texas Tech Red Raiders since he transferred there. Uh, they announced this on Friday of last week. You know what uh, Tyler Shuck's record is as a starter with Texas Tech? 8-0 in games he has both started and finished Uh-oh. in those games. Undefeated. So he'll be taking the snaps <laughs> against Oregon. And I'll tell you what, the, you know, Judah, uh, you know, he beat up Baron Morton, uh, like you said, as the starter there. Shuck 8-0 in games both when he starts and finishes. The Ducks question marks all on the defensive side, right? I think I think that's the part where we talked about the Beavers earlier and their defense and their question marks. I think the Ducks, I think we all agree, like that's where the real question mark is going to be. It's not Bo Nix. It's not the offense. It's not the receivers. They got some good ones. It's not the running backs. They bring all those guys back. It's the defensive side. They're really bad a season ago on that side of the football. We have to learn, can Dan Lanning coach him up? Is it just because the, the guys didn't fit the system? Now he's got some new players in. Tyler Shuck, he's a veteran now. He's been there for a long time. This game against Texas Tech, you know, it's in Lubbock. It's not a neutral site. It's not. It's a true road game on the road. Big 12, you look at preseason rankings. Some people have Texas Tech inside the top 25. This is going to be a very highly watched game. And I think a big game for the Pac-12. Texas Tech uh, found this stat today. Last season, they re- averaged 89 plays a game. The next highest team was 80 in the nation. They averaged nine more plays than every other team in the nation. So they don't get a lot of yards per play, but they run the most plays by a lot. I think this game against the Ducks, Texas Tech, is going to be a big one, and I think it's a big test for that new revamped defense at Dan Lanning. It's going to be hot down there. It's week two, Saturday, September 9th. It's a 4 o'clock kick. Everybody's going to be lubed up and ready to go in Lubbock for that one. Look, man, I grew up loving Vince Young in Texas. And to this day, it pains me to think about when they went to Lubbock. Well, I guess this was post Vince Young. This is actually Colt McCoy. But the Colt McCoy, Texas team that went in there and, and lost to Graham Harrell and Michael Crabtree with the, you know, catch down yeah. the sideline, turn and score with less than five seconds left. And Seeing that place go wild, obviously Leach built it up to to where it is now, similar to what he accomplished at Wazoo, but that is not an easy place to play. And I just feel like Duck fans, I mean, it's it's June, but they're circling USC, they're circling Oregon State, obviously, they're circling UW. Even Colorado, I mean, week four. We Circling Colorado week four, and it's just like, man, like, you can't take Texas Tech for granted, man. Like, you could absolutely lose that game. I'm not saying they would or they should, but they absolutely can. Texas Tech is good. Joey McGuire, their their coach, is a quote-unquote up-and-comer, but as you and I learned the other day, he's 51 years old. Like, you know, he's seen a lot of college football. Dan Lanning is still, what, 37 years yeah. old and in his second year? Like, if you're Lanning, you can't start your first two seasons as head coach with a loss to Georgia the way that it did. 
and then losing to Texas Tech in your first meaningful game of year two. It, I mean, you know, I'm not going to put big labels on it, but that would really hurt Dan Lanning if he lost his two biggest September games in consecutive years out of the gate. And, well, this is a huge one for Oregon, and the fact that it's against a former quarterback is is awesome. Yeah, it's just icing on the cake for Tyler Shuck for the Ducks. Uh, as a gambler, I, I cannot wait to see what that point spread is. I imagine the Ducks are going to be favored, but, man, it, it's not going to be a lie by a lot. Lubbock is a very tough place to play. Um, Shuck, 5-0 and last season with the Red Raiders. Coming up. We got the five at five, hour three, the happy hour. I'm Stephen Vaughn filling in for John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth. It's the happy hour here on the Bald Face Truth. I am Stephen Vaughn filling in for John Canzano. John will be back tomorrow as I'm filling in for him. Judah filling in for me, Judah Newby as well with me. Hit us up at 503-417-7575. You got any comments? Hit me up at Stephen Vaughn at Stephen underscore V-O-N on Twitter. You want to talk to me there? We got Sean Hyken coming up next segment. Rose Garden Report. I'm excited for that one. Trailblazers obviously got the third pick in the draft. The draft only nine days away. Man, that snuck up on us as the NBA season wraps up last night. Denver Nuggets winning the NBA championship. We'll have Hyken on talking about the draft picks, talking about, you know, is Dane playing hardball with the Blazers? Did the Nuggets show the blueprint? I don't know. We'll ask Hike and all of these questions coming up in the next segment. But as always, happy hour, five o'clock hour. We do the five at five. Now, this is usually where Anna comes in with John off. I, you know, I texted Anna. I said, hey, Anna, I want to come on and do the five and five without John. And uh, didn't get a response. She just ghosted me. No, no, she didn't. She didn't. She wouldn't do that to me. But instead, filling the Anna role will be Judah Newby on the five and five. I cannot wait. Five and five right here. Judah, hit it. The five at five. Number one from my man, Judah Newby. Well, Stephen, uh, some drama going on in Buffalo, New York. Apparently, Stefan Diggs, their old pro wide receiver, did he show up to minicamp? Did he not show up to mandatory minicamp? The Bills say that he, he wasn't there. His agent says that he was there. Well, what's going on? It sounds like Stefan Diggs showed up to the team facility earlier today. And then he left before practice got started. Now, no one knows exactly what's going on. Is it a contract thing? Is it a conflict with the team? Sean McDermott didn't really want to get into it, but Josh Allen, the quarterback today, is taking a little bit of responsibility for it, saying, hey, there's a little bit of conflict, and from last year, we should have incorporated him more into the team's plans, into our scheming, our philosophy, and I effing love that guy, and I... I hope he's back. Is this something or is this nothing? Well, Stefan Diggs drama in Buffalo. Well, first of all, how do you not know if someone's there, <laughs> if they're present or not? That's like, I showed up to work early, but then I left when my shift started. And so I technically technically is here, but I'm not actually working. I don't, I, I find it weird that they can't even figure out if he was there or not. Like Check his time card. Yeah. Did you punch in? You know? punch, I mean, I forget to punch in and punch <laughs> in all the time. So I guess, I guess that's what Stefan Diggs did. Um, I don't think I. I do think this is something. Um, last season, the way it ended and their loss to Cincinnati, they were not good in that game. Cincinnati crushed them up and down the field. Uh, you know, the Demar Hamlin stuff I think weighed heavily on them. But we've seen in the NFL lots of times windows of teams just close. I mean, I go back to thinking about that Pittsburgh Steelers team with Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. Like they were the best offense in the league for three, four years, and then it just fell off a cliff. 
And I think that can happen. I don't know that it's going to happen in Buffalo. I think Josh Allen's still young enough and still good enough to carry that team, but he's turnover prone. Um, I, you know, I'm, I love Josh Allen. I'm a little down on him after last season with all the turnovers. I think it is something. I think I don't want to say the Bills window is closed quite yet, but you look at the AFC East, the Dolphins are going to be better if Tua can stay healthy. The Jets are obviously going to be better with Aaron Rodgers. The Patriots still have Bill Belichick. I mean, he still can coach no matter what you think. The AFC is strong. I think the Bills make the playoffs. I think they win the AFC East, but man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I think that they are going to be at the top of the Super Bowl contenders like I did a season ago. I thought they were the best team in the NFL. They proved me wrong. I don't think the win is closed, but it is uh, it is closing and inching closer to close throughout uh, day by day. Yeah, it's tough. And, and Leslie Frazier, their defensive coordinator, stepped away. So now it's Sean McDermott, you know, running the defense now. You got former Beef Jordan Poyer there. You know, he's getting older, but he's still a productive player. And I believe he re-upped with them on a, on a short-term deal. So, yeah, I've got a lot of a lot of intrigue about Buffalo as well. And they got to just have to reinvent themselves a little bit every year. And I'm with you. I don't think their window's closed yet, but is it a spot where they can go out and get maybe DeAndre Hopkins to help help yeah. on that offensive side? I mean, no I, question. Is that a thing? Yeah, that would be quick. And maybe that gets Stefan Diggs attention a little bit yeah. and be like, you would think that he would welcome that, you know, totally right. get, get, get a guy that can attract some, you know, defensive attention and open up some things for Diggs. But you know how receivers are. A lot of egos. A lot of drama. They, they'd they be great basketball players, great NBA players. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't – yeah, I just think – I think Buffalo, I think they have a chance this year. But we've seen the NFL so many times where even when you got a good quarterback, that window closes and it closes quickly. That loss to Cincinnati last season in Buffalo where they just got dominated up and down the field, it almost seemed like the beginning of the end for the Buffalo Bills in that championship window. Judah, number two. Well, speaking of wide receivers and drama – Oregon Ducks have this new freshman wideout, Jurion Dickey. That's going to be a, a freshman this fall, and he's on campus now. He wasn't there in the spring, but he's on campus now. Five-star, big-time recruit, big-time player. Well, he's getting some headlines because he posted a uh, tweet of him picking a new number for his jersey number in Eugene. Do you know what jersey number he was allegedly looking at? To pick a five-star freshman wideout, Stephen. Give it to me. 99. Trayon Tiki wanted to wear the number 99 in Eugene this year. He has since deleted the tweet because it was getting all sorts of uh, feedback on social media. And who knows if he's actually going to wear 99. But that was uh, that got Duck fans, you know, attention a little bit. Mainly because... It's a non-story, but have you ever seen a receiver worth a damn that wears a number in the 90s? This is going too far with letting kids select their own numbers. Yeah, I mean, 99. I mean, if you're, you're trying to stand out, right? Like he's one of one. We talked about one of one. I mean, he he would be the only receiver that would be number 99. Like, I, I, th- I get it. I think it's kind of funny. Like, I remember when I played basketball. You know, I was a guard, and so I wanted it to be number fifty because I always thought it looked funny as like a, like a guard. Greg, on the, on Greg the, Anthony, Eddie House was the real reason. Nice. Eddie House, but uh, yeah, like on the perimeter wearing number fifty because it just like usually those are the front of the big guys down low. I always thought it looked funny. So I mean, I guess like it would look weird. I will say ninety nine. Uh, I can't imagine he's really actually going to do it. It's a good joke, I think, on Twitter to poll, but 
I mean, can you imagine, like, if you're just a dude, you're a stud out there on the out wide? I mean, Michael Irvin, what was he in college? He was like 20 something, right? Wasn't he? Ooh, good question. At the U, Michael Irvin. Am I wrong about this? I think I'm right. Are you like number 20, uh, 27, I want to say? I have 47. 47, that's what I meant. Yeah. Look at that. I mean, 40... that's pretty crazy. That's probably your best comp. 47 for Mike Irvin. Yeah, I remember he had a crazy number seeing that. Like, I mean, you see the you see the kickers and the punters, they'll be wearing like 99 and stuff like that. And that fits. You know, they look like they're number 99, but Jurian Dickey out there making one-handed yeah, grabs and touchdown there's, grabs. There's some rules in football and and it's like But not in college though, right? You get that's an eligible number to wear. I guess I'm saying unwritten rules. It, it's part of the unwritten rules. If you're a receiver, like some numbers look good, some numbers don't look good. 99 it doesn't matter if you're Julio Jones. That is not looking good on a wide receiver. Come on. Do you are you so I I assume that you're the type of guy. You're a big football guy. You're about tradition. You you don't like that the NFL allows you know dudes to wear single digit numbers that running back now. Dalvin Cook number four last season. You probably don't like that, do you? Yeah, I don't love it. <laughs> I don't love it. I mean, I'm 30, but you got to get off my lawn. Get off the lawn. I'm 99. I kind of want to see it actually. I, I don't hate it. I, I don't hate it. You're, you're being you. You know, you're being unique. You're, you're getting out there. You're showing off what you like. I like that. All right. Number three, Judah. Well, let's see U.S. Open this week. L.A. Country Club, Stephen. Brooks Kepka was on the mic earlier today talking about if there's any feuding going on between the Livers and the PGAers. I don't think there's really been too much animosity between players in general. I think that's that's been a lot more constructed from the media side than the player side. But uh I haven't paid too much attention to it, honestly. I've been trying to prep for this week. Um, I'm just trying to make sure that I come into a major championship. There's four weeks a year that I really, really care about, and this is one of them, and um, you know, I want to play well. So I wasn't going to waste any time on, on any news that happened last week. I saw it. I was at, sitting at Grove um, at the bar there uh, having breakfast, and I saw it on TV, watched uh, a little bit of the interview, and then that was it. just went out and practiced the first time the u.s open's been in the la area since 1948 do you believe brooks kepka that it wasn't a big deal when he when he saw the news and does this do anything for you in terms of tuning into the u.s open the latest merge news with the livers and pga i do love the name the livers uh no it doesn't really give me more juice to want to watch it um you know i'll probably watch it on the weekend just because you know if there's something if it's some drama going down at the end there's a close close uh battle between a couple golfers i'll be watching it um you know i i'm also on record of saying like if i was in their shoes i probably would have taken the money too and gone and played live like i i don't blame them because it is their job and it is their job to help support their family and give them generational wealth so i don't think i would have a problem with the guys coming back even if i stayed in the pga i don't think that those guys necessarily have a problem either i think for the most part these golfers understood why they all left to go play live. It, it wasn't to dr make a message. It was because they were offering them gobbles and bags of money. And that's why they went there. It wasn't any political reason. It wasn't anything. Like that. It was just because of the money. So I, I don't think that there really was any drama. So I believe on that part that there's not any drama, in, you know, but it doesn't really do anything for me to be like, now I'm going to be locked into the U S open. I mean, I'll be locked in just because, you know, what else is going on right now? The NBA drafts coming in a couple days. I'll be scouting videos. No, I'll, I'll watch, watch the golf tournament, <laughs> make a couple bets on it. But no, I mean, it, I, I don't think, I don't think, I think the PGA guys understood why the live guys went there. And I don't think there's going to be any drama going forward well, with it. Speaking of gambling, uh, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm are the top two favorites. Scheffler plus 650 
Rom plus eleven hundred, and then Kep Kepka plus twelve hundred. Rory's my guy at plus thirteen hundred. What happened to Rory, man? Man, he I, fell off. This is weird about golf too. I really like Rory. I'm I root for him literally every tournament he plays outside of the Ryder Cup because you know go Team America. But this guy has been in position to contend on Sundays, like every weekend, and then falls apart on Sunday. And it's kind of driving me crazy. And it just gets me thinking, like, I am always going to be a Rory fan. I love what he stands for. I love his philosophy on life, et cetera. And I love his swing and everything. But I'm starting to not want to watch him play on Sundays now because I'm wasting my time watching this guy crumble. It, it sucks. I'm not betting on him this weekend. If he even gets to Sunday, that's the point. I mean, the well, thing he, he's been getting to Sunday yeah. the last few tournaments and just like all apart. Last weekend, he was like, all, all these golfers, there's been like, so many of these young, young golfers that were supposed to be the next big thing ever since Tiger. Rory is one of them. George Spieth was one of them. And then they just kind of, you know, they just can't live it's up weird. to the hype. It's it's hard. It's I think yeah. it proved how good Tiger actually was. Um, and I'm not even a huge Tiger guy, but like, it's impressive of what he actually did under all the pressure. Same with like LeBron, how LeBron had all that pressure on him. You know, I think in golf is one of those sports where everyone's just watching every move, every shot. Like, that's got to be a lot of pressure. And and sometimes guys just don't have it. Uh, you know, uh, Scotty Scheffler, the favorite. You know, why not go with Scotty Scheffler? He's been really good. Well, I know. John Rahm. One of your guys, Cam Smith. Yeah. He's a liver. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a little liver guy. He's got a massive liver. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Plus 3,000. I might dabble on Shekel. Cameron Smith. I like the hair. Shekel. I'm jealous of the hair. That's why. I want the hair that Cameron Smith has. <laughs> Judah, number four. Mark Wazikowski, Oregon Duck head baseball coach, was on the show Monday coming out of the Super Regional defeat with Oral Roberts. And he said a few things that were pretty interesting, Stephen. But one of them was the amount of hate he was getting from Beaver fans. A lot of Beaver fans in Mark Wazikowski's mentions uh, over the weekend after, after the Super Regional loss. And he said the venue, the atmosphere at PK Park was awesome, but he actually appreciated the messages from Oregon State fans. It was an awesome venue, you know, and um, and I know how awesome it was because, geez, even our rivals were were sending all kinds of crazy messages to me about how it was great that we lost and this, that, and the other, and all that tells me is great. That sounds like we got a rivalry. That's uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, you can't have a rivalry if, if uh, only one team's good, so it's nice to have – uh, a second good team in the state to where, you know, people are excited. And, and even when the haters show up, boy, that's awesome. That's that's a lot of fun. That's why I took yeah. this job. Is the Ducks-Beavs baseball rivalry officially on, Stephen Vaughn? Hey, I don't hate it. I would love that. You know, the Oregon State has dominated the baseball, uh, you know, the baseball spectrum here in Oregon. To see the Ducks play as well as they did, it was fun to watch. That atmosphere, I talked about that. Like, it was a great atmosphere down at PK Park. I mean, I mean it was just crazy. I, I wasn't I wasn't expected to be like that. They were very raucous. They were jumping up and down. They were having a great time. Really fun to watch. I I don't know if the rivalry's back on. I think Oregon has to continue to prove it, right? They, you know, they've they've taken steps. They've made lots of room, lots of improvements under Wazikowski. Uh, but you know, they got to they got to get to Omaha, I think to break through. I think for it to be really considered a rivalry they have to break through and get to Omaha at some point, whether it's this next year or not. But man, it was uh, it was a good time to watch that that Duck series and um, you know, Or Roberts. We were watching that game one, Judah, and Or Roberts jumped up eight nothing. We both like, man, this this is a wrap. Yeah. Like Oral Roberts is the better team, and then the Ducks end up being two outs away to get to Omaha. College baseball is fun though. The NCAA tournament, you know, Ducks, Beavs, 
Oral Roberts. I'm rooting for Oral Roberts now. They were, they were a fun little team. I hope they can uh, continue to make a run. I think they're the third four seed ever to reach Omaha, joining 2008 Fresno State and 2012 Stony Brook. So best of luck to uh, to Oral, you know, in Omaha. Good, 20 good to 1. Them. 20 to 1 to win the World Series. Why not? They're last. You know, Red parlay Red. that in Cam Smith and you got something cooking. Oof. Waz, he, he also had some interesting NIL comments about how he expects the role of NIL and college baseball to keep growing yeah. the way that it has football and basketball. I thought that was interesting. I also thought it was interesting when he was talking about Oregon State. He's like, hey, we, I, I can respect those guys. It doesn't mean I have to like them. Because yeah, frankly, I don't like them and they don't like me either. And that's okay. It should be that but way. Come on, Beaver fan. You got to be better than that, right? I think so. I mean, come on, Beaver fan. Come on, Beaver fan. That's okay. I'm not a Beaver or a Duck. I would say I'm more of a Beaver fan than a Duck fan. You, you skew orange and black. I skew orange and black. Or I'm like not a diehard. Yeah. You're like brown I like to, and I like putrid. To say, I like to say the team I'm usually rooting for is the team <laughs> playing the Ducks. I like to see the Ducks lose. I think it's kind of funny. Oh. But come on, Beaver fan. I expect that from a Duck fan. I expect the Duck fans to be talking trash like that after after a Beaver loss. That's just kind of how who they are. Yeah. Beaver fans, I expect it better. I expect it better. Be classy. Stay classy, yeah. Corvallis. Stay classy. I mean, th- th- you guys have won national championships. I will say, was you know when he was talking about the Beavers, he's like one guy I really respect there. I thought he was like, oh, I, you know, he's gonna give love to Mitch Canham. He's like, no, he did not mention Mitch Pat Canham Casey. once. Pat Casey. He's like Pat Casey built up that thing, and you could tell that was deep down. He knows that Pat, that's Pat Casey's baby, and always will be. That, but we saw the dust up with Canham and Darwin Barty and Waz at home plate a few a, weeks that's ago. That's a shot. That was a that's a shot. shot. That's a silver shot. You better believe it. He doesn't really truly respect look, Mitch Canham yet, and I love that. Like that, the, a little bite to the baseball rivalry is so great for, in my opinion. And look, if Beaver fans are talking trash that the Ducks lose, go ahead, Waz. Go talk trash. Yeah. Talk your trash and don't show the respect for Canham. He didn't deserve <laughs> that either. You're just fighting back with what you're doing. Uh, I expect it better out of Beaver fans than talking trash like that. The Ducks haven't done anything since, what, 1953 or whatever, been the World Series because yeah. they didn't have a team for a long time. You're going to rub it in their face because they lose to Oral Roberts. I mean, come on, B-Fan. You're better than that. If it's football, it's a different story now. You know, The, <laughs> the Ducks go and lose to Texas Tech in week two. I can understand all the laughing from Dr. the Beaver Strong. fans. You know, right. Red Raiders' Tyler Shuck comes in, throws for four tutties. Oof. Beaver fan coming in laughing. I can understand that one. But baseball, college World Series, eh. Come on, Beavs. All right, number five. Number five, uh, ratings are out for the NBA Finals that concluded last night with the Nugs taking home the hardware. They're down a little bit. Finals ratings are down from 2022, but playoff viewership is up as a whole over the course of the entire postseason. ABC, ESPN, and TNT averaged about 5.5 million viewers a game during the playoffs. It's the most watched playoffs in five years. As for the NBA Finals, ABC brought in an average of 11.6 million viewers. That's a slight decrease from last year's Warriors-Celtics series that averaged about 12.5. So almost about a million viewer difference between per game from last year's Finals to this year's Finals. I don't know about you, Stephen, but to me, that makes sense. Last year, you had Steph and you had Boston. This year, you had 8th seed Miami and you had the Joker and, and Denver. I actually think 11.6 is a pretty half-decent number for the finals. Yeah, I think a million less than last season's finals, which was very intriguing. You know, the Golden State Warriors rival or dynasty relive uh, versus a Boston Celtics team that, you know, obviously Boston big market. I'm with you. I, I think it's almost surprising to me that it's 
that 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 many people actually watched this series because you know i watched every game of this series it was not a well-played series i don't even think denver played very well in this series but i just know miami's part of that though but right miami is part of it but i just don't i think it's because miami's not they're not that good they're really not that good of a team and they shot the lights out in the first three rounds they couldn't make a shot in the in the finals and they got crushed every game like there was last night was kind of close i felt like denver was in control in the fourth quarter game two Denver was in control for most of the game. Miami came and pulled it out, but the rest of the games were blowouts. Like they weren't entertaining, entertaining games. I don't think both teams played well. So I was surprised to hear that number, but um, you know, you're the NBA. This definitely wasn't the matchup you wanted. You know, when you saw the Lakers taking on the Nuggets and you saw the Celtics taking on the Heat, you're hoping Lakers Celtics in the finals. Uh, NBA got neither of those, but uh, you know, it, it's also tough. You know, it, it's hard to market. Nikola Jokic, who's from Serbia, who, you know, he English is not his first language. He obviously, you know, doesn't know the history of the NBA. He's even talked about that. Like he watched European basketball growing up. He didn't watch the NBA finals. So I think a lot of people have a hard time relating to him yeah. when he's the best player on the court for sure. So, I, you know, those numbers, and I think he doesn't so really good. care. You know, if, if he cared about the off court personality and persona, then it would be different too. Yeah. I think of Luca. Luca kind of similar. He embraces it. Yeah. But. Everybody freaking loves Luca because he's a dynamite personality yeah. and he's got a great smile. Like my wife, who does not watch sports, her two favorite players, interestingly enough, that she will watch anytime they're on TV are Jokic and Doncic. Mm. Loves it. And understandably so. They're mesmerizing they're awesome. on the court. But they are two completely different off-court personalities. You know, not that Luca is like, you know, getting headlines and stuff like that. He's not crazy, you know, off the court, but... At the same time, he's a much more engaging personality than than Jokic is. And that is the five at five. And we got uh, Sean Hyken coming out against the Rose Garden Report. I'm going to ask him. We're talking about the Nuggets right now. Nikola Jokic, did the Nuggets, did they show the blueprint of how to win in a small market? We'll ask Sean Hyken that. We'll ask him much more about the Portland Trailblazers and their offseason coming up next right here on the Ball Face Truth Radio Network. Ball Face Truth. I'm Stephen Vaughn filling in for John Canzano. John, he will be back tomorrow for a normal show, three to six throughout the state of Oregon. I'll be back in my normal chair, running the board. Julie back in his normal chair. But for now, you got me, Stephen Vaughn, hosting the show. Coming up right now, we got Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report. Everyone wants to know about the Portland Trailways, what they're going to do with third pick and the offseason. So let's get Sean Hyken on here right now. Sean, thanks for joining me here on the Bald Face Truth. How you doing? Doing all right, Stephen. How about you? I am doing well, man. Uh, you know, let, let's just get this right out of the way. Number three pick, Portland Trailblazers have. Do you, do you have a good sense? Do you have a sense of what the Blazers are going to do with that third pick? Some people want the trade. Some people want the draft pick. Are you getting a sense either way, one way or the other, what they're going to do with that number three pick? I have no idea, man. I don't. I don't. I don't know what. It, I don't think anybody knows what they're going to do yet because. I mean, you have you have to keep in mind. There's the only thing about this draft that's a hundred percent known. There's no drama about whatsoever. Is what San Antonio is doing at one. Like that. That's the only thing that's completely off the board. Everything else, like Charlotte has two, and you know, there's a lot of rumors out there. And I heard this even going back to lottery night that maybe they really like Brandon Miller. But then also, you know, you go back to last year at the draft that uh, you know everybody thought Jabari Smith was going to be the number one pick, and then an hour before the draft, suddenly all the betting lines started moving and now Paolo Bancaro is the number one pick. So until you know what happens, then you just, you don't know like what they're going to do. And I think what Charlotte does at two, whether they take Brandon Miller, whether they take Scoot Henderson, whether they 
trade the pick to one of these teams that's looking to move up to take one of those two guys, obviously that's going to change what is possible for Portland. I don't, you know, I don't know which of the, the guys they could take at three. I don't know who they value the most. They brought in Scoot Henderson for a workout. They brought in the twins, uh, Amen and Asar Thompson. They did that a couple of weeks ago. They haven't brought Brandon Miller in yet. I think that's going to happen probably at some point in the next few days. So I don't know since they haven't brought everybody in yet. I don't know like who they have where on their board or who they like the most. And then again, when it comes to trading the pick, that's going to depend on who's there. You know, if Scoot is there, you're going to get different offers than if Miller is there and, you know, different teams are going to be interested or not. And that's going to change what happens. So it's really going to, it's going to come down to while they're on the clock. That's the only thing I think I can say pretty solidly is that nothing is going to happen one way or the other until Charlotte does whatever they're going to do. And then, you know, that five minutes where they have to make a decision, that's when the decision is going to be made. Yeah, I mean, nine days away from draft, it's going to be craziness. I mean, that second pick, what Charlotte does is going to really decide the entire draft. And uh, as a uh, as a gambler, I remember the whole drama with Paolo Bencaro and Jamari Smith Jr. Like, those lines changed so much. So, you know, had me looking at the, uh, the lines right now. Right now, Brandon Miller... He's minus two thirty to be the second overall pick. Scoot Henderson, the favorite to be the third. So you know that is what it is. What it is. What it is. You know, worth yeah. nothing. But could uh, be posturing. It, it could be. It could be. Uh, you know, you talked about Scoot coming in, uh, working out with the Blazers. You know, I know you talked to him a little bit. You guys interviewed him. What What were your impressions of uh, Scoot Henderson? Played for the G League uh, Ignite last season. Nineteen years old. What were your impressions of the young man? Very impressed with him from a media standpoint, and I've heard nothing but good things about him. As like as far as like character stuff, work ethic stuff, personality stuff, all that kind of stuff, I've only ever heard great things about him from that standpoint. So I think just from that standpoint, and obviously I haven't watched a ton of G League stuff, but I think whoever ends up getting him, whether that's Charlotte or Portland or some team that trades into one of those spots, I think whoever gets him is going to be very happy with him. I, I unfortunately they don't let media actually watch the workout so I don't know how he did I only see what they put out what the team puts out on social media which of course they're only going to show the good stuff so I but as far as I know I think he did very well at that workout so I I uh, you know the question with him would be you know if they keep the pick and he's there and they decide to take him like how does that fit with Dame what does that mean for Dame like can they play together what you know what does all of that mean but you know, I, I've only ever heard everybody that I've ever talked to that has spent time around Scoot or has watched Scoot a lot. They, you know, everybody's saying, you know, if Victor Wembanyama wasn't in this draft, he would be the clear cut number one pick. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you know, talking about Scoot, it seemed like he came across really well in the interview portion um, of that workout. We're talking to Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report. Follow him at Hyken on Twitter. Uh, he's a great Twitter follower if you're a Blazer fan, giving you all the news there. Uh, you talked about Dame and Scoot if they're fit together. I just want to talk about Dame real quick here. Um, you know, Dame puts out the Instagram video of him drinking wine, talking about what he actually said in that interview when uh, you know, or reclarifying when he said, you know, if I were to play somewhere else, it'd be Miami or Brooklyn, but I expect to be a Portland Trailblazer. Is Dame uh do you think Dame's playing a little hardball with the Trailblazers, pulling out these Instagram videos, doing all these interviews, kind of saying, Hey Portland, you know, let's make a move without actually saying let's make a move. So, uh, you know, are the Blaze, you know, and the Blazers do end up trade that number three pick. Are they kind of just giving into Dame right now? Or is it uh, a thing that they really think they can contend for the future? I mean, it's going to depend on what they, and the reason I say, I don't know whether they're going to keep the pick or trade the pick. I think if you, and I, I realize trading the third pick is a much different ask than trading the seventh pick. But if you, if, you know, if, if you and I were talking a year ago, this time, 
I would have been absolutely convinced that they were going to trade the number seven pick for some sort of, you know, win now upgrade, especially, you know, on draft night after they did the Jeremy Grant trade the day before. That was kind of the thought. And I know that they talked to Toronto pretty seriously about OG Ananobi, like right up until when they were on the clock. And then they eventually decided that even though that would have been the move Dane, you know, would have been in favor of because he wanted them to just go all in and, you know, get win now guys and, you know, get guys that are more on his timeline. They felt like Toronto was asking for too much, and they decided the higher upside play with that pick would be to keep the pick and take Shaden Sharp, which, you know, in retrospect, I think they're pretty happy with that decision. I don't think they're going to trade the pick just to trade the pick just to get a, you know, quote-unquote win now guy if they don't get an offer that they like. Like, I think, you know, the names that you've kind of seen thrown out there, you know, like a Mikhail Bridges, I think, is somebody, you know, if you talk about like whatever the other right pieces are that would be in the trade. I think that's something that they would consider. I think like Jalen Brown would somebody they would consider. But then, you know, when you, when you get into like, like, I don't think like OG Ananobi or like Zach Levine, for example, is what somebody would be interested in. What in, about like uh, Sam Sharani put out there, Brandon Ingram. That's the new one right now. What about him? Do you think he's a good fit in Portland? I think if they were going to do a trade with New Orleans, it would be somebody else, not Brandon Ingram, that they would be interested in if you kind of pick up what I'm putting down there. Yeah, it starts with the Z. Yes. I think just, just knowing what I know about the way this front office operates, and I know it's a pretty limited sample size because Joe Cronin took over as GM in, what, December of 21 after they fired Neil Olshay. So he's basically had two trade deadlines, one draft and one uh, free agency period. So, so it's a kind of limited sample size. But just knowing what I know about how this, front office kind of operates and the types of moves they make and they don't make, they're going to go for the upside in, uh, in a lot of, because the go, you know, going back to the draft, which I just talked about when they, you know, didn't trade the pick for OG Ananobi and they took Shaden Sharp, the two guys that they were kind of between for that pick were Shaden and Dyson Daniels, who went one pick after that to New Orleans at number eight. And the argument that, you know, there were some in the front office that wanted Dyson Daniels because they felt he was more, you know, plug and play, ready to contribute from day one and be a rotation player on a playoff team. Whereas the argument with Shaden was it's going to take a little longer for him to be ready, but he could be an all-star if it really hits. And they went with the upside play where I think when you're talking about what they would maybe do if they were going to do something with New Orleans, you know, Brandon Ingram is, is what he is. Like he's a good player. He's made a couple of all-star teams, but he's not changing your world. He's not, you know, Brandon Ingram is not making you a title contender, whereas Zion, obviously, it's a huge risk with the injury and the conditioning and the other stuff. But we've seen literally every time he's healthy and able to play, he's a top five player in the league. And if, you you know, you're betting that, you know, he's motivated by a change of scenery and, you know, he gets in better shape and Dame is good for him. Or if that happens, you know, now, you know, that's, that's the highest upside play that you can make. So I think just knowing what I know about how the front office approaches this stuff, I think that's more what they would be interested in if they were doing something with New Orleans. Yeah, we're talking to Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report, at Hyken on Twitter. Yeah, I agree with you with all the Zion stuff. But I do want to question this. Uh, we brought this up a little bit earlier, Sean. You know, with the whole jailblaze era back in the day, is there any thought that off the court issues that Zion's having with uh, the female ladies, friends, and uh, Brandon Miller? We talk about him if he falls to number three, uh, him and you know the murder case down in Alabama. Do, do the Blazers front office? Do you think do they consider that where they wouldn't want to take on those type of issues and those type of drama things off the court because of the whole jailblazers era and how they had, took so long to get out of that, uh, you know, after that um, stigma that they had? 
Well, those are two very, very different situations that yeah. we're talking about here. I don't, I don't think the Zion stuff really factors into anything at all. That's, I mean, that's just the guy's personal life. And, you know, somebody that he apparently was in a relationship is maybe online more than maybe he would like her to be. But I, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't think that's going to factor into anything. The Brandon Miller stuff is a little bit more interesting because I mean, and I'll fully admit, I haven't read I've read a little bit about the case. I haven't read a ton about it. And, so I, you know, I don't know how comfortable I am with talking about it, you know, fully, you know, openly having not, you know, read every single thing there is to read about it. But, you know, I do know that he wasn't charged and he's not going to be charged. So it's not like an existing legal thing. You know, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I, I do hear you. And that's, you know, it's a thought that I've had. and It's something other people have said to me about, you know, given, you know, issues that the organization has had in the past with this kind of stuff, you know, a decade or 15 years ago or whatever it was. But, you know, he's going to, whoever, when he meets with teams, and again, the Blazers haven't brought him in yet, so I don't know, you know, how that meeting is going to go. But whenever he goes into a meeting with Portland or Charlotte or any other team that he meets with, they're going to ask him about it because that's part of what they do. Obviously, a lot of what they do, they do with these you know, in-person visits is on-court workouts, but then, you know, it's basically also a job interview. You sit down with the GM and the coach and whoever else and the other members of the front office, and they want to talk to you and get to know you. And it's like, is this somebody that we want to bring into our organization? And so whatever did or didn't happen with with that, you know, that, that night in Tuscaloosa, he's going to have to be able to explain it. And he's going to have to, uh, you know, make whoever wants to draft him feel comfortable about doing it. And so if he's able to do that, if they say, you know what, he wasn't charged and what he told us checks out with everything that's out there, you know, we feel okay about it. And I'll say this, like other, you know, they, they're going to have to, who went, went, whatever team drafts him is going to have to, you know, be able to answer questions about it, which, you know, in, in the, in the past, let's say two years, uh, front office executives who made decisions that were controversial were maybe not prepared to in the past, if you will. Uh, Sean, I want to ask you about, Shaden Sharp, Anthony Simons, you know, the Blazers, they have been a terrible defensive team to put it nicely. Uh, last four uh-huh. seasons, 27th, 30th, 29th and 28th. And I mean, I, I, I have a hard time putting that all on coaching. I know Terry Stotts wasn't a great defensive coach. Chauncey Billups, the jury is still out on him. If he is a good coach or not. I mean, I think it's unfair to judge him after two seasons when the roster is what it is, but you look at Anthony Simons, you look at Shaden Sharp, two guys who are very talented on the offensive side of the ball, but still lacking on the defensive side. And then we know Dame, you know, not known as a defender and hasn't really shown, you know, the willingness to be a really good defender in his career. Is there a scenario where Anthony Simons and Shaden Sharp can play together on the same roster or, or is it really vital in this offseason to kind of, you know, decide which one you're going to build around and try to trade the other one? I think they kind of have known for a while that it's going to have to be one or the other, that they're going to have to decide. And I think Shaden kind of made that decision for them over the last month of the season. I, 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 if you go back to exit interviews, which happened on the last day of the season after that game against Golden State, both Joe and Chauncey were asked about whether those two can play together. And they both, they, they mean, they both, you know, they gave kind of the standard, like, you know, they're both very talented players with bright futures. But they kind of ducked the idea of saying, you know, yes, we think these two guys are, you know, these two plus Dame, like that's viable long term. They had they they very much did not answer that one way or the other, which kind of tells you everything you need to know because if they felt like they those those guys could play together, they would have definitively said yes. And then the other part of it that I think you have to keep in mind is 
if they're going to trade the third pick, the type of guy that you're going to be trading it for, whether it's any of these names we're talking about, you're going to have to be able to match salary. And I think, you know, Anthony Simon's making, what what's he making, like 23, 24 yeah. next year, something like that. That's going to, you know, be a big chunk of the salary matching. So I think just putting a lot of that stuff together, I think, and I've also, like, I've heard that, you know, not, you know, just from Blazer people, but from people with other teams who have called the Blazers about, you know, trade possibilities. Shaden Sharp is off the table. He, they are, they're not entertaining any kind of trade proposals involving him right now. That's not somebody that they're interested in moving at all. So I think just, you know, putting two and two together, I think it's, you know, I, I, I think it's unlikely that both Anthony Simons and Shaden Sharp are on the roster next year. Love to hear that. Love to hear uh, untouchable type of thing with Shane Sharp. Uh, Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report here on the Ball of Face Truth. We'll get you out on this one, Sean. Uh, Denver Nuggets win the NBA championship last night. You know, I kind of made the point of small market team in the Nuggets. They built their team through the draft. I know Jokic was a second-round pick. It wasn't by tanking, but Jamal Murray, you know, first-round pick, lottery pick, Michael Porter Jr., lottery pick, two, you know, three of their best players all from the draft, and then they fill in the rest of the pieces through trades, not free agency. Bruce Brown is a free agent, but it wasn't a high, you know, high money signing. The Blazers can afford that type of thing. Did the, did the Nuggets show the Blazers the blueprint of how to become a contender uh, as a small market team in the NBA? Sure they did. I mean, you have to get the right guys, but I mean, to me, what that shows, but then, you know, you look at however many, uh, you know, the past however many years of champions, there's no one right way to do it. If you look at like, you know, that Warriors team has been together forever, but then, you know, the Warriors also have that run with Durant where like, you know, you sign a superstar free agent and that does it. Or, you know, you have Milwaukee where, you know, they drafted Giannis and I know Middleton wasn't a draft pick, but he, you know, was a second round pick who was traded there after his rookie year. He was there forever. And then they make that ball in trade with Drew Holiday for a million draft picks. And that ends up being the missing piece or, you know, Toronto has that kind of once in a lifetime, you know, Kawhi Leonard one year rental thing. And that ends up getting them like, I don't like anybody who says that like, Oh, this is the way to build a championship team. There's one right way to do it. Like that there, there clearly isn't. And I mean, you look at this Denver team, they remind me honestly a lot of the pre Durant golden state team that won the the first, the first title team in 2015, because you have one guy that's like a, all-time generational game-changing, you know, talent that's like an all-time great player like Nikola Jokic and like Steph Curry was kind of just starting to become at that point. And then you have the exact right role players around them that all know exactly, you know, what they are and what they aren't and they do exactly what they're supposed to do. And, you know, they have a coach that, you know, knows how to get the most out of them. That's kind of how you have to do it if you're not one of the markets that, you know, like a LA or a Miami or whatever that's going to get, you know, the big free agents. Sean Hyken, and Rose Garden Report. I want to thank you for uh, joining me here. I'm sure John will get you back on either before the draft or after the draft, after we know kind of what the Blazers did. So uh, thank you for joining me. Yeah, good to talk to you, man. All right, thanks, man. That was Sean Hyken, and Rose Garden Report here on the Bald Face Truth. I'm Stephen Vaughn filling in for John Canzano. With that, we're going to take a break here before we wrap up the show. I got some final thoughts here from the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. The Bald Face Truth with John Canzano is on right now, but I am Stephen Vaughn filling in for John. John will be back tomorrow in his regular seat. I'll be back in my regular seat, but I just want to thank uh, John for letting me fill in for him. I want to thank Judah for letting me fill in uh, as well. Host the show. Had a lot of fun today. Uh, you know, a little nervous, but uh, had a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I understand why people like to do it. Just talking sports and doing doing the good thing. It's a lot of fun. Uh, got me excited about college football again. Uh, I can't wait for that. The Blazer stuff, nine days from the draft. I can't reiterate how close it is. It's just, it's almost there. And 
I cannot wait, Judah. Like, I cannot wait for the offseason to be over. I know it sounds so dumb because there's so much stuff that's going to happen within, you know, the next couple months with the Portland Trailblazers. But I just can't wait to see what the roster looks like. I'm tired of, you know, speculating on what's going to happen and getting in Twitter fights with people about how bad their opinions are and what they think. I just want to know what the roster is so then I can be like, okay, is this team good or is this team not? I just, I just need it to happen. I need things to happen. I need to know final what this roster is because I'm tired of just not knowing and speculating. Yeah, but the NBA, it's, it's an off-season league at this point. At least it feels that way. I'm just over it. I'm over the off-season. Give me games. Call me weird. Call me weird, but I enjoy the games more than I like the off-season and the trades and the free agents. I want to watch the games on the court, on the field. I find that way more fun, way more fun than just – the drama-filled offseason. But I tell you what, the Blazers offseason is very important. And I think it's kind of like what we've talked about with John here when me and him are talking about the Blazers. The Blazers need to choose a direction. And whether that is to build around Damian Lillard and go for it this next season or it is to draft a draft pick with that number three pick and build for the future. And that doesn't mean you have to trade Damian Lillard. It, it doesn't. It doesn't mean you have to trade him this offseason. You can draft Scoot Henderson. And you can play him with Damian Lillard for a year because guess what? If you don't get the value for Dame, he's still going to be good enough where you can get him value for the next season. And you got to capitalize on that. We've seen so many times before when teams hold on to a player too much and they lose the value, right? We saw that with the Lakers and Kobe Bryant. They didn't want to trade him. They didn't want to. They wanted Kobe to retire a Laker. Well, guess what? They ran all of his value out, and then nobody wanted him because he wasn't an effective player. You know, we said, you know, you see Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, they go for a bunch because they're in their prime. Dame is at the end of his career. You're running the risk. If you don't look to trade Damian Lillard, you're running the risk of it turning into a situation where you just don't get good value for him. Now, again, I'm not advocating that you need to trade him right now. If I were the Blazers, I would have been exploring a trade with Damian Lillard two years ago on the Shaden Sharp draft pick. I would have been exploring a trade for Dame that year, but I'm exploring it. You got to see what they can get out of, out of him. Because guess what? This team is not a contender. And that's what I keep going back to. Just look in the past history. It's not hard. You can go and look back at how good teams were defensively in the NBA to win NBA championships. You got to be a top 10 defense in the NBA. In the last uh, 20 years, there's only been two teams that are outside of the top 10 in defense that have won NBA championships. It was the Denver Nuggets this season, and it was the Golden State Warriors Back when they had Kevin Durant in 2018. Sorry, last 10 years. I said 20. I meant 10. Last 10 years, 2018 Golden State Warriors. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. Yeah, that, that's not the Portland Trailblazers. They can be 11th in defense right outside the top 10, and they can win a championship. The Nuggets this season were 15th. Can the Blazers get lucky like the Nuggets did? Yeah. Are they going to play the 8th seed, a 4th seed, a 7th seed, an 8th seed, and have one of the easier roads to an NBA championship? I guess. If that is that what you're banking on? Is that what the Blazers are banking on? to get lucky in the NBA playoffs and have teams get upset and then you have an easier road to the finals. I think that's tough to do. I think it's easier to try to build a top 10 defense, try to get better defensive players. And it's not easy. It's not easy by any means. As Sean Hyken said to just snap your fingers and say, this is the right way to do it. And there's no one right way, but what the Blazers got to do, they got to get that top 10 defense. They got to get closer to the middle of the pack. They have a good offense. It's okay to sacrifice some of the offense for defense. I asked Hyken the question, Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp. Guess what? Anthony Simons is a good player. He's 22, going to be 23 years old. 
averaged over 20 points a game, an elite shooter, one of the best shooters in the NBA. But you know what he's not good at? He's not good at defense. You can sacrifice a 21-point-a-game score for a guy who averages 14 or 15 points and plays really good defense. The Blacks will win in the Portland Trailblazers. You're going to become a better team. I think the Trailblazers need to do that. And I might be way off base on that, Judah, but I'm willing to sacrifice some of this offensive firepower that the Blazers have. And the Blazers have some good offensive players. But you may need to downgrade talent on the offensive side to get more tough and get more of a you know a basketball player who just wants to ball and wants to play hard nosed defense on the defensive side. Man, just aesthetically too. Like how fun would a Trailblazer team to root for be that plays really good defense? You know, and, and like in this day and age of the NBA that you know, people play serviceable defense throughout yeah. the regular season, and then they ramp it up come April, a, come May. I mean, think and you can see it through your TV screen. You're like, this is why I love watching the playoffs because the defense is so intense. Like, can you imagine having a team in Portland that played intense defense? I mean, teams in are averaging 115, 118 points in the in the regular season. They're not even cracking 100 no. in the finals. Like, that's the difference. Like, you need those type of guys. And I'm with you, man. I would love to see a defensive team. And hustle put like even Lowry last night, you know, tipping out a crucial rebound to get an offensive, you know, second chance. Like guys like that that are hustling all over the floor and making. Th- and I think Sharp can be that for the Blazers, but they obviously need a little bit more. And you need offensive talent for sure, right? You need to get bucket getters, but you need some defensive guys. And, and the last thing I'll say about this before we head out is, if the Blazers do ever eventually trade Damian Lillard, if and when it ever happens, I tell you what, Rip City, it's gonna be okay. I promise you, it'll be okay. The Blazers will survive. You will survive, and the Blazers will eventually make the playoffs once again. I want to thank Judah Newby. I want to thank Sean Hyken for joining us. Thank John Canzano, as always. John will be back tomorrow. I'm Stephen Vaughn, filling in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on Bald Face Truth Radio Network.